Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan to another exciting installment of the fifth column pod i don't have the energy i just don't have it today but I, you know what i don't have it greetings and welcome <laughs> to another exciting installment of the fifth column podcast this is episode i don't know what it is maybe 107 mm. anyways i do That's things wrong. at a place called Freethink. uh i'll never explain what those things are or what Freethink actually does <laughs> i'm wearing a hat that's more expensive than everything matt welch owns combined right. i'm here with my good friend who's title i don't really know at the week <laughs> senior like senior editor fluffer or something yeah uh also michael moynihan isn't here because he's snorting all the cocaine off of all the hookers <laughs> oh in the entire gosh. country of hollywood and we're especially delighted to have matt welch here wow that was a pretty good commute. It was, and it's episode yeah. 110. Yeah. I came close. Yeah, yeah. very close. I skipped had a long had a long week, so I mean, that's, that's my we'll, voice and, is kind of and like, we'll do I appreciate you doing that too, right? Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Matt Welch is the uh, editor-at-large of Reason Magazine, um, and we also have a guest today. Woo! We do not have Michael Moynihan. We do have a guest, and we're very delighted to have her. This has been months in the making. Mm, it is. Because we've been trying to coordinate this, and for a very long time, we just didn't have a regular schedule. But now we're trying to do stuff on Wednesday so we can be professional, so that when we <laughs> extend an invitation to wonderful, remarkable people whom we've known for a while, but who have busy schedules like Jessica Tarloff, who is, in fact, the head of research at Bustle, which is a publication of some sort for women, and we can talk about what she researches. She's also a Fox News contributor, which is where I met her. She's in the building. Jessica, thank you for coming Thank you to for do having the, the me column with. and on a Wednesday. We appreciate it. How are you? I'm great. It's wonderful to have you here. Um, what, what on earth do you research at Bustle? So what we do at Bustle in the research department, so we actually, there are four properties that we own all focused on women. That is surprising. Yes. A big shocker. Mm -hmm. And we're the largest millennial women's lifestyle publisher in the country. Mm -hmm. And the research that I do is focused on millennial female trends. So everything that they're watching and wearing and how they're voting and what matters to them. And then we take that data and work with brand partners who want to be advertising with us to help them shape their campaigns. Yeah. So I joined Bustle about a year and a half ago. I did political polling before that. Um, but it's really cool because... A, I got to start the group, which you don't usually get to do. And polling is so dominated by kind of like older white guys. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty cool to have an all millennial female research team, uh, you know, in there in the weeds and the numbers. And it's been fantastic so far. Are there sure. sharp uh, differences? Do you do consumer based research too, like like uh, brand loyalty and yeah, amongst our readers though, our main resource is something called the Bustle Hive which is a 5,000-person reader panel of our own bustle lovers. Um, so we do that, and then we work with a third-party partner to do national polling. So not consumer trends in the, like, you know, people who have 20,000, 30,000, 40,000 member panels, but on the on the smaller scale and representative of the country. And so just to—, to uh, think things through. I presume that among millennial women, support for Donald Trump is like ninety to to ninety five percent. Yeah, on a good day, like yeah. after Charlottesville, it spiked to ninety eight, but Whoa. then it came back down. That is incredible. And because Helsinki hashtag was another white high. Women. <laughs> um, no, not fans of Donald Trump, but we actually uh, partnered up with an organization called Vote Run Lead, which you know Jammu Green. 
Yeah, yeah we all do. Yeah. Fox. Yeah. Sure. Um, she's head of the board of it. It's run by this wonderful woman named Erin Velarde, and they train female candidates. They've trained the most, actually, of any organization. Sorry, I believe they train men, too, but predominantly women. Hmm. Uh, they've trained 30,000 already, and we did a big political poll together and focused a lot on support for Donald Trump and looking at the differences between Trump supporters and Hillary or Bernie or Jill Stein, I guess, whatever. Uh, Liberty, sorry, Gary Johnson supporters. Um, <laughs> and we found a lot more similarities than you would think, like focus on health care, just the female way. And that actually Dems were a lot less concerned about sexual harassment than we thought or we would feel kind of in the midst of the Me Too hmm. movement. Um, and a lot of women don't think that this administration, even if they vote Democrat, voted for Hillary Clinton, is, you know, putting on an assault on on their rights. They don't think women's issues are top ticket stuff. So that was really interesting to find out and going back and talking to my Democrat colleagues, like people at the DNC about hmm. their messaging. Uh, it was fascinating because it was matching up with a lot of their internal polling, but they didn't really know what to do with it. And so now you can see in these special elections, which we're going to get to, mm -hmm. a lot more focus on health care because everyone now is getting this back, that that is just the issue because now it's the economic issue and the health issue all mashed up into one because of the cost of premiums and all of that. Um, so a little political polling. You don't there. think that yeah. the uh, Kavanaugh nomination in particular is going to refocus people's attention to— yeah, I was going to ask when, when that happened because— yeah. Yeah, when was the poll? Oh, the poll was probably about three or four months ago. Okay. okay. So uh, pre-Justice Kennedy's retirement. Sure. I and mean, if you look at Twitter, which I know since we're all Twitter buds, we all do. There's huge focus there, obviously, from kind of the, th you know, the political thought leaders on the Roe v. Wade issue for Democrats. It's mm -hmm. something they think will be motivating about this. Um but then I think, um, and I don't, uh, I, I presume you're in the millennial class. Uh, I am. Um, I'm an older millennial, though, a Hillary millennial, as a we Hillary like millennial. to say. But like, um, there's got to be an age cutoff where people don't see it as being under threat. They've lived their whole lives in a row world, right? right? Like it's 1973. Um, I mean, I, I'm sure that you can still rally panic around the question. And it's, I mean, it's. But it, the focus on, I, I agree with you, and it's actually hard to rally 20 somethings about anything but economic inequality. <laughs> really? Seriously, like unless you're, well, look at Bernie's entire platform, mm -hmm. right? You're not going to have any money. You're going to live in your parents' basement. Your school is going to keep you in debt for the rest of time. That was it. Like there's nothing else really <laughs> to the Dem socialist platform. Like they dabble in criminal justice reform because you have to say that. Mm -hmm. And But otherwise it's like Medicare for all and covering your tuition. Mm. So it is hard to rally millennials around that. And the way to do it is birth control. Okay. So if hmm. you make it about them coming for your contraception and use the language of they're trying to control your body, yeah. that gets young women upset. So what but you know they don't will think about that Donald Trump is coming for your birth control. No, he wants you to have it because then yeah. he doesn't get in as much trouble. Yeah, exactly. That's the whole point. That's how that works. But Mike Pence is coming for it. Yeah. So that's why that's why we have to fight against impeachment. Impeachment as hard as possible. No if collusion. there was Russian collusion, fine, <laughs> whatever. No Mike Pence. That's what I, that's what I have I think you, you and I talked Great. about yeah. Donald Kennedy Great. once. Yeah, okay. I, I don't know actually what Democrat in their right mind <laughs> wants Mike Pence. Like, I've now read McKay Coppins' profile of him, which was frightening, and uh -huh. watched The Handmaid's Tale, and I'm not having <laughs> oh any God. of it. But this this is Maxine Waters' official formal position. <laughs> this is what she wants, to impeach this president. And I have not heard her say that Mike Pence has to go, too. 
Maybe she has. Oh. I don't know. I don't listen that closely. There are some yeah. old not Mike Pence like blog. No, 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 they weren't blog posts. I don't think he was blogging, but he, he articles. Once had, yeah, yeah, he once had a website or he contributed to something. Yeah, a radio are, show too. Yeah, but yeah. some of these some of these college cartoonists are straight out of like the Ralph Reed like moral majority kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah, you know, it's it's from another time, really. Yeah. Well, definitely. By which you mean beautiful, or written by the Russians. Yes. Russian hackers. Back when America was great. Yeah. But listening to him talk about how repulsive he finds people who cheat on their wives. Mm, well. And then watching him in the side by side, like with Trump and even how, did you see that video of him copying him with moving the water bottle? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was the greatest. No. I, I, I didn't think it was real. I mean, my misremembering, but in October 2016, didn't Pence sort of distance himself from Trump right after the pussy grab tape came yeah. out? Like, think Probably. about that. The guy who's the vice president, less than a month before he was the vice president-elect, said, not this yeah. guy. Well, no, right. every, everyone thought he was over. I know, but everyone thought he was over. Bits, they didn't understand. And he survived that. But yeah. Jim Comey had other plans. Well, exactly. <laughs> he was, was going to do whatever it took. Yeah. Yeah. Anthony um, Weiner has a long tail. Oh, my God. I it's so weird to me. That it sounds like a euphemism. No, but it's, don't do that. It makes sense if you think about it. I, that's what I mean. You know. Don't do that. Is he still, like, riding horses? Out, out he's, in prison. Therapy, he's in prison. Oh, he's in prison. Yeah. Sorry. He's in federal prison. <laughs> and Bill Clinton's not. I was out of the country. I've, I'm wow. behind. <laughs> oh, God. Well, speaking of not going to prison, yeah. um, this past weekend I had an interesting experience. <laughs> Out in the ever. real world. Yeah. Was that, was that a good segue? Mm-hmm. I like that. Good. Well, Did you yeah, get pulled so, over again for- uh, No, for I didn't get pulled over. Paying for a ride um, while perhaps, black? Perhaps I would have been better off getting pulled over. The short version of this story is I actually run into um, someone in the lobby of this podcast studio. And we had a conversation, or at least I interjected myself into a conversation. And uh, it ended up with me getting an invitation to go on this someone's uh, television show. Any reason we're not saying Joanne Reed's name? On MSNBC. No, I was just just building up. It was creating a little bit of you <laughs> Look know, what you anticipation. Did. It's fine. Um, but yeah, go on Joanne Reed's show. And um, we, we're going to talk about Colin Kaepernick, because that's what they were talking about in the hallway. It's just, it's just what happens. Um, and Torre is going to be there. Torre is what? Former MTV... VJ person. But he was on the cycle. He was on MSNBC host and he's an author of a lot yeah, of books. He's written a lot of yeah, books. Yeah. At any rate, usually they like to have, you know, Matt on because he's a, a weirdo, faux libertarian, but I'm like the real deal. So then they had me in, you know, it was going to be great. I was really looking forward to the conversation and I thought it was fine. Granted, everything I said, they didn't seem to understand at all. And why were we talking about Colin Kaepernick? Colin is pursuing a, a case against the NFL because of potential collusion to keep him out of the league. Um, it's been, what, two years now that yeah. he hasn't been playing, or at least two years since he was last signed to a team. I guess he opted out of his San Francisco deal, was shopping around for something else. And the conversation went something like this. I tried to make a case that I'm totally in favor of criminal justice reform. I'm generally skeptical of the approach of sort of the Black Lives Matter crowd because I worry that some of the racial identity politics issues actually make it harder to persuade people who are conservatives to have a conversation about with you about the stuff you agree on. And the worst thing that I said is almost certainly that sometimes NFL players are not necessarily going to be particularly sophisticated when it comes to talking about complex, challenging issues like things like criminal justice reform. They might, for example advocate for these things while wearing a Fidel Castro t-shirt or socks that have pigs um, in police uniforms or saying things like police shootings are legal lynchings 
which he said recently while accepting an award from a human rights organization for his advocacy on these issues. I was just destroyed on the program, just lots of contempt, no seeming understanding. Um, worse yet, though, it was just kind of the backlash from the Twitter sphere. You're an Uncle Tom or a house nigger or a coon or something along those lines. Um, and uh, it, it sucked. It was not a lot of fun. And the worst part of all was the fact that there were multiple articles written where I was just misquoted. And mm. like people would say things like, Camille Foster says, police killed 30 black men last year. Actually, it might be 20, and, but I don't remember. I'm not looking at my, at my notes now, and I don't remember because I'm a little tired. But in either case- I believe that was a headline. It was a headline in multiple posts, mm. which is absurd. What I actually said was, 2017, you had less than 1,000 people shot and killed by police. That's, that's a number that's important, but it's less than 1,000. We shouldn't be hysterical. Only about 68 of those people were unarmed, and only 20 of those people were black. 30 of them were white. This is an issue that is materially significant for all Americans of all races and we should be talking about it in that way not balkanizing it and making it narrowly about race that's that's what i said a serious and significant issue and this isn't an issue that is just about black people it's an issue that should concern all americans and we should talk about it in that way but for whatever reason the last bit of that just gets truncated no one cares about that shit and the headlines were were like you know camille foster says only 20 black people were killed by cops yeah so it was uh, it was like you were trying to minimize, which is which is awful. I, it would be bad if I did that. I agree. But I went out of my way to qualify the statement, like both on the front end and the back end. Were they literally misquoting you in the articles like the open quotation it's marks? It's odd because stuff that you in some cases say. they would they would actually add the rest of it like later, like there would be two quotations. So the first in the first opening uh, paragraph, like there's the short truncated version of it in the actual body of the article, you'll get the full version of the quote. But the whole experience sort of made me think a lot about some of the weird uh, conversations that we have here where I'll find myself like advocating for interpreting some fringe character in a way that's slightly more generous. Um, where some conservative groups like these folks who were in Portland recently who were protested by the Antifa characters to bring in another thing that we might talk about a little bit. Well, and also, if I may, just real quick, one, oh, time, one time you very generously defended Joy Reid sure. against the conventional wisdom. Sure. Well, I mean, it, and I don't even I don't know how unconventional that was. But when we were talking about, I guess, the, the emails and stuff like yes. that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, the, at the end of the day, it, it seems to me. And I, I try to do this, that you want like some reciprocity. You want to have a conversation with people who are willing to be decent enough to take you at your word, to trust that you mean what you say, and to not pretend that you've said something else, to, who will, are willing to admit when they get something wrong and they misattribute something to you or they get the quote wrong or perhaps misunderstood you, who will ask, what well, is what you mean to say? But none of that happens in... in this current circumstance. And that, I think, is what actually bothered me. It's not the name calling. It's not the disagreement. I expected people to disagree with me forcefully, which is fine. Um, but it is a little bit distressing when it seems like none of the people who are having sort of an argument with you are willing to do so in, in, in good faith. That said, I mean, Tere, you know, apart from not really being able to look me in the eye after the segment was over and kind of not wanting to shake my hand, um, no one else, you know, was was mean to me or anything like that. Joy was fine. Joy invited me on the program. Maybe we'll see each other again. I'm not sure. Um, but it was a bit of a weird experience and it, it put me in a bit of a funk. 
was just sad for the human. Were you all in the same room? I've want, I've wanted to know. Oh no, me and Torre were sitting at the same table. It's like a round table. So yeah, you're looking you, a, across one another. I'm yeah, doing you're a looking, diagonal. You're looking at a thing. camera though. You, you, yeah, we're both staring directly into cameras. Yeah, that's usually across you only do another. that when you're not in the same. Yeah, when you're place. remote. Joy was in D.C. Oh, that yeah. makes sense. Then. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm ruining the TV magic here. <laughs> I have to say, and I do believe that being in the same room can totally change the course of things Hmm. like you can talk things out a lot better when you can even like put your hand on someone's forearm and be like that's not what i'm saying yeah if i if Uh, i touched him he might have he might have tried to hit me yeah no i i watched it and i watched it a couple times to really get it because i sympathize with how frustrating it is when you truly believe that you are being clear and you're also using numbers Mm -hmm. like i tend to fall back on numbers because Facts. Right. Facts are great. <laughs> You're also used to being in a room that isn't inclined to agree with your sentiment. No, yeah. nobody agrees with my sentiment. Uh, yeah, Arch progressive at, uh, at Fox News. When yeah, you're I mean, so, yeah. yeah, so far from a progressive. But yeah, <laughs> yes. so people are like, you're a communist. So like, do you have any idea what that means? Um, but it is tough when you come prepared and you've got all the numbers and you're trying to make a little bit of a nuanced point, mm-hmm. which both sides claim that they want to be having that nuanced conversation, yeah. but really nobody wants to have any of it. And it reminded me watching you um, in that segment about when you talk about illegal immigration, mm-hmm. because on the conservative side, they go, they, Kate Steinle, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Kate Steinle mm-hmm. died. That guy was deported it's five law. times. Yeah. He got back in, you know, Bill O'Reilly had the Steinle law and, mm-hmm. and got a lot of Dem support for it quite frankly, that there you know, should be some limit on this. I mean, at first, I think he wanted, like, if an illegal alien uh, commits even one felony, no matter what class, that they should be kicked out, which I think is absurd. But if you have a conversation after someone says Kate Steinle, and then you talk about the larger illegal immigrant population, which are good people who want to work hard and came to this country Kate. for— you know, they have mm-hmm. good intentions. Their kids are Americans. They're giving back to the economy. Kennedy is like my favorite to talk with mm-hmm. this about because she totally gets it as a libertarian and free marketeer there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the stats are on our side in this argument. They also commit far less crimes than the natural born American mm-hmm. population. Mm-hmm. And the and head explosion. welfare too. Oh my God, mm-hmm. totally. And, and it should, I mean, it should be noted also, like I, I whenever I, whenever I get tweeted at by somebody with a Kate Steinle uh, Oh my God. Avatar, uh, yeah. I just, I just, I put it aside. And again, this is no disrespect. It's, it's, it's tragedy what happened to Kate Steinle right. and her family. But the, the reason the guy was not convicted of murder is because the gun, the, 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 the shot that came out of that gun ricocheted right. off of something. So off the, the beam on the yeah, pier, right? Which, which is which is and the it's a case of where conservative pressure on the prosecutor caused that prosecutor to over prosecute a charge that they couldn't win on. Right. Mm-hmm. And and so it's so again, while it's a tragedy, while this was an illegal immigrant with a ton of criminal history who may or may not have been in the country, should have been in the country, that we can debate that. The the idea that this was like cold-blooded murder of a pretty white woman on the San Francisco <laughs> pier is not true. Sure. Well, right. I mean to 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 go further though, I mean the issue as as always with stuff like this isn't even so much the particular facts of the case, which make it much more nuanced than the way people will generally represent it. It's the fact that anything like this, when you have the fundamentals of your argument are based on an anecdote, Mm 
Mm-hmm. And, and by anecdote, again, right. this is not in the pejorative sense. It's literally an anecdote, a story mm-hmm. that is supposed to be representative of the broad a, problem. A law named after somebody. Um, the, the, it, it's, it's the same is true for Trayvon Martin or Michael, Mike Brown. Right. It's part of the reason why I have my concerns about criminal justice reform becoming fundamentally an identity politics strip issue, which is driven by these narratives, which increasingly, the longer these narratives exist, the more frequently the story is told, the further away from the truth they become. And the more difficult it becomes to have these conversations as the divide between people who are on one side of the issue or the other deepens. And when you show up and you try to articulate a nuanced perspective, they suspect they already know what the fuck you're trying to say. They completely know your argument, so they don't have to listen to the things you're saying, which bizarrely was like my opening gambit that the Black Lives Matter people are totally not interested in talking to you if you have some problem with them kneeling. Because if you are kneeling from their from the perspective of the conservative, it's because you hate the flag and you hate America. And from the Black Lives Matter perspective, if you have a problem with them kneeling, it's because you only have contempt for black lives. And it's just, it's bizarre. Like no one ends up talking about the things that matter. Um, and instead, if you show up and you're the weirdo nuance guy, you get dragged and you actually have like just completely contrived narratives invented about you because you don't fit the, uh, check the right boxes. I was so, on, uh, eh. I think, uh, either Joy's show or Melissa Harris Perry's before. It, Bring that mic closer. Uh, before it was, um, sorry. It's okay. <clears throat> before it was euthanized and, um, <laughs> I made the, uh, by Melissa Harris Perry, let's be clear about that. Uh, uh. And uh, and I think it was on with DeRay. And if I wasn't, I apologize to everybody. And obviously, that's okay. They, they all, all look they all like oh, exactly. yeah. <laughs> I knew where um, uh, it might have been Toray for for all I know. But look, it could have been me. Just stop. It's just fine. No, but Toray, <laughs> <laughs> Toray, right? Like single named. Anyways, um, so uh, I made the statement that I think that um, because we don't really have hard data, mm-hmm. but I think it's a good bet that fewer. Black people were killed by cops last year, whatever year that was, 2016, Mm -hmm. than in 1973 for the simple fact that in 1973, everyone was just killing the shit out of each other all the time. (laughs) That's true. There were like, you know, 25 New York City Police Department officers just like killed in cold blood in New York City. I mean, seriously, it was a huge, huge number of police. So like just it, it, it since we don't have that data and since we've become a lot more of a peaceful society, even as much as there is um, uh, unacceptable amounts of, of uh, police violence and violence against police, but police violence mostly. Um, uh, <laughs> since then, I know, I mean, if you look at the numbers compared to, oh, to no, all the countries. Oh, no, that was like an agreement laugh. Uh, yeah, I know. It was just uh, preempting uh, Camille's, actually, my wife's concern because she hangs out with cops all the time. Uh, but uh, anyways, uh, uh, I believe it was DeRay, uh, got really mad at me for a day, it, both uh, on the sh- Maybe it was just actually reacting to the show. What? Yes, that was that's what it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, reacting to the show on Twitter. Like, I'm so mad at Matt Welch for for stating as a fact uh, that this uh, is true. When I, mean, I it's when almost I'm, certainly true. Like well, I don't, I don't need to know and I, anything and I, else. And right. I said it's, it's, just, it's, it's likely true, but we don't know because it hasn't <laughs> been measured. And thankfully, now we're starting to measure this. The past couple of years has been right. a couple of different organizations, including the Washington Post, has been creating databases, and that's great. Sure. And I wish that we had been doing this before, and all, all these uh, caveats. Mm-hmm. Um, so. You get that. I mean, I, I'm the, the house MMSNBC person uh, mm-hmm, here. Mm-hmm. I'm on constantly. And a couple of things that I, I noticed. One, yes, you get I, I get it less than you because I'm, uh, I'm less unacceptable. 
mm-hmm. uh, than uh, than you are. Mm-hmm. But every time you go on and say something like I was on, I believe yesterday, um, and made the very explicit case of like totally within, and we're going to talk about this in a second, totally within, uh, you know, social media platforms rights to boot your Alex Joneses of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also Alex jo- Jones is a loathsome turd and I would do not weep for his fate. Um, and you can also see what's happening right now as part of an overall trajectory of that people uh, every day. And I said this last week on this, on this show before the Alex Jones stuff uh, started coming up. Um, People are just reaching for let's ban people off social platforms. Let's get this person unhired at the Atlantic or the New York Times or whatever. There's just people are trying to to punish people for their rhetoric constantly mm-hmm. and that we should think about that in a, as a culture of free speech issue. So how do the MSNBC Twitter uh, re- responders say, like, you're defending Alex Jones? Like, nothing that I just said there defending right. Alex Jones yeah. is not even close. Uh, that's one observation. The second, which is kind of interesting, is that I'm starting to hear more and more. Uh, and this happened this week and it happened uh, probably every week that I've been on MSNBC recently. In commercial breaks, the hosts lean over and say, God, I'm sick of our viewers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know uh, if you're allowed to say that. Uh, yeah, you know what? I, I'm on with <laughs> enough fine. hosts. Not sick of our viewers, but I'm sick. But like, I'm I'm tired of getting dragged on Twitter right. every time I ask a Democrat a tough question. Uh-huh. Uh, and I'm also tired of people who are intolerant of of uh, of there even being you know questions asked to the bad people. Right. Um, which is something that's happening this week in uh, Charlottesville. I, I don't know if you guys saw this this uh, story. And I'm no, I'm derailing the show, and I'm sorry. Uh, but uh, that uh, protest, counter protesters in Charlottesville, for whatever unite the assholes rally is happening over there, the counter protesters say we're not going to talk to journalists if those journalists have any intention on quoting the unite the right guys at all, because wow. because they're giving them a platform, and they those people need to be deplatformed. So that's the rule. You can talk to us as counter protesters as long as you. You know, vow that you as a journalist are not going to, you know, uh, uh, talk to the next Richard Spencer. What uh, an absurd idea. Right. It's it's really crazy. And if I was on, there was a poll that came out yesterday, I think an Ipsos poll mm-hmm. um, that showed that something like 43 percent of Republicans want Trump to be able to shut down publications that they don't like. And 25 percent or something are cool with getting rid of The Washington Post. CNN and the New York Times. Yes. So like the Fake paper news. of record. I actually tweeted that, uh, you know, like uh, uh, supporting big government and censorship to own the libs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that that owning the libs thing, I think, I mean, it's some of my favorite memes that have come out of it, especially, you know, having to do with like Charlie Kirk and Candace yes. Owens oh, and that whole. Wax poetic. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> she made like a horrible Periscope video about me. Um, oh, really? I've, oh, yeah. I found the whole thing stunning. We were on to debate when Sarah Huckabee Sanders got thrown out of that restaurant. Okay. That was like a, like a month ago, right? Yeah. yeah. And I said, um, you know, the restaurateur polled her workers who said that they objected to how her support of an administration that was against LGBTQ rights. And they had a lot of LGBTQ people who worked there and they wanted her to leave. And that wasn't her impulse to kick her out, but that's what her staff wanted. And I said, personally, I I don't like that. Like, I think she should have been able to have her meal. And then if you want to have a conversation about her, about what with her, about what the administration is doing, that's cool by me. 
And then Candace called me like a faux feminist because apparently Democrats are supposed to say that Kellyanne Conway is like our fearless leader or something like screw Gloria Steinem, like Sarah Huckabee Sanders is it. And obviously I didn't do that. And then she claimed she didn't say it. And I was like, I just heard you say it. And then later on Twitter, where everything good happens, the Daily Caller of, mm-hmm. or something like that published an article about how, you know, she owned me, which I guess I get owned like 50 times a day. (laughs) And when she tweeted it. Totally destroyed. Yeah, I was crying on air. And (laughs) she tweeted it out, though, saying like it was too early for her faux feminism, but like didn't at me. Mm -hmm. So I found it because I had like a ton of creeps in my timeline. You got to at you got to at people. If you're going to talk to it and then not at me. So I added her Mm. and said it was too early for your faux concern for the black community. (laughs) (laughs) And then like two hours later, there was a Periscope video of her with like 10 black dudes. And she she was like, you pick the wrong weekend to accuse me of faux concern. I I'm have here with to see all this video. I'm here with all of these black activists. We're gonna fix it. We like we all love Trump or whatever. And then one of them is that crazy Hotep Jesus guy. <laughs> And I'm, like, I'm so happy Uncle I have Hotep. no idea what you're talking about. You don't you know, know Hotep Nation? Come on, man. Uh, no, man. No, you would oh really be interested God. in oh this. Oh, no. Anyway, it was like <laughs> Another my time. timeline was just uh, horrible for days and days. And of course, you know, racist Jessica, whatever. But <laughs> I got really kind of scared. Yeah, where people are looking at pictures of I'm, sh- I'm, Jesus. I'm sharing just the Twitter page with Matt, just so oh, he's got even up? the most Hotep basic Jesus. Uh, pretty good. Basic background. Yeah. Yeah. That was my owning the libs experience. So there's a parallel here. InfoWars mm-hmm. has now been thrown off of many high profile social platforms. Um Facebook um has given InfoWars the boot earlier this week. YouTube has given InfoWars the boot. Apple has given InfoWars the boot from But iTunes. I think two InfoWars podcast or se- the app is still downloadable, right. I think, in the store. And yeah. some one host made it. Right. That he still exists. I don't know if that guy. I mean, Paul is. Joseph Watson still lives and breathes all over. Yeah. That, so that place. there's it's it's a bit it's Those a bit smoky, good luck. uncertain. It's a bit uncertain sort of how all of these policies are being instituted, which is which I think is among the many problems related to, to what's going on here. I mean, there's been a number of takes written about this, and I won't I won't bore everyone with a long setup for something that I'm sure they're familiar with. But two things sort of seem useful here. Um, you mentioned like all of the conservatives who are genuinely interested in sort of talking about the awful attack of fake news and perhaps a high percentage of them who would be willing to have the president do something to say, quote, open up the libel laws so he can do something about right. all of these fake purveyors of fake news. I saw this tweet from Donald Trump Jr. referring to the situation with Infowars being taken off these various platforms and he says, A Democrat senator openly admitting that big tech censorship campaign is really about purging all conservative media. How long before big tech and their Democrat friends move to censor and purge Breitbart News, Daily Caller and other conservatives' voices from their platforms? One, I mean, he's citing something from Chris Murphy. Chris Murphy. It's not obvious that Chris Murphy is actually saying anything of the sort. He wasn't, but, actually. Yeah. But it's not, <laughs> a good, it's not a good look from Chris Murphy but at it's, all. It's, at not all. A, it's not a great Alex look Jones from Chris Murphy. Alex Jones the tip of the iceberg. N- this is true. Not a, not a great look from Chris Murphy. It's, it's, I think, endemic of something else that we'll talk about later when we talk about sort of Antifa and the, the weirdness that's going on Can, there. Also, Chris, Chris Murphy 
from Connecticut, mm-hmm. Newtown. I mean, he's he's got he, a particular on the dog I mean, this, in this all fight. came up yeah. because Alex Jones has Precisely. forced a family to move six times. Right. They lost their son in Sandy Hook. Right. And they have twins, actually. So a boy and a girl and the little girl is still alive mm-hmm. and has had to move six times because of this. They can't visit their son's grave because Alex Jones has told people where they live. You know, he's a Sandy Hook truther, or 9-11 truther. Has he, did he mention like where they live? He actually said where they live? I or think, did he yeah, I'm not sure that it was out. ever explicit yeah. address, but it was like descriptors mm-hmm. yeah, of stuff. He dropped enough uh, clues and he railed on them by name so often right. that yeah. it's literally made. And now he's suing them. For oh, damages. He, he yeah. thinks he deserves 100K yeah, out of he's not, this. He's not going to win that. No. I'm pretty sure he won't win that. So but, Chris Murphy, it's a yeah. very, it's more personal, I well, think, than is, just Yeah, but this is what's dem. interesting. I mean, the, the the statements that came out from folks like Apple um, and, and Facebook, Apple said it, um, quote, does not tolerate hate speech. Um, Facebook accused Jones of uh, glorifying violence and dehumanizing language to describe people who are transgender, Muslim, and immigrant. Um, and YouTube... Uh, talked about hate speech and harassment. The thing that they didn't do, um, and this is, uh, I'm, I'm actually leveraging David French's piece from the New York Times, which is actually quite, it quite was good. Great, um, the thing that they didn't do, as David pointed out, is that they didn't depend on sort of any kind of standard that even comes close to paralleling the legal standard that we have in this country for governing the kind of speech that is actually protected and the kind of speech that isn't. Instead, it's these arbitrary, flighty, hard to define concepts like hate speech, when in this particular case, actually saying the parents of children who were killed at Newtown are in fact faking it, that they're not really yeah. victims. You, you had a harassment like, case. That is way more something than a, that you could totally do. Way more totally than a hate do. speech case. And, and I'm, I think that Alex Jones is contemptible and awful and loathsome. And I, I don't even know that I need to do the boilerplate. I think there are plenty of reasons why I'm fine with social platforms like Twitter not being too aggressive about throwing these people off the air. The, the thing that came to mind immediately is just, just the fact that the distance between someone who has some sort of strange apocalyptic beliefs um, in their religion and someone who interprets the events, world events in a strange way um, that might be construed with fake news is, is kind of hard to actually gauge. And I don't know about throwing Alex Jones, a Seventh Day Adventist. Pretty much, okay. yeah. I mean, it, it's pretty much. The I same mean, if, thing. if 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 Alex, I don't if know Alex Jones had directly that. harassed uh, these these people or given out their information on Twitter, I'm sure a he'd totally be gone. different situation. He'd be gone. Yeah, but he 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 used his show. Right. You know, he used YouTube. He used Facebook. He used these platforms that video platforms. Yeah. To do it, which is why they probably said, you know, you got to go. But the the excuse of hate speech, I. You know, hate to agree with you because that's dull. But, uh, the 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 hate the the excuse of hate speech is the thing that I think they it's it's kind of performative. It's mm-hmm. kind of like, of course, who could be for hate speech? No, no, if we just call it hate speech, then it's got to go. Nobody could possibly defend hate speech when you yeah. actually had a decent case to say Alex Jones is bad for business because he's actually a cruel son of a bitch who's hurting innocent people. And so, using our platform to do it. But this is just like the perjury trap. It's yeah. like Rico, yeah. right? Like it's a, <laughs> yeah, well, or lying to the FBI. Lying to the FBI. You mis- the lowest possible yeah. thing. But this is there. the and thing like, that people have been beating this drum for some time. And, and it's dumb. And they're like, wrong. Is, yeah. is it that Alex Jones is a homophobe? Is, yeah. that, is that the problem with Alex Jones? He's not. A, That's he, not the problem no. with fucking no. Alex Jones. It bugs me. He's a, but... is, he a homophobe? <laughs> is he even a homophobe? I mean, well, he's concerned about the frogs being turned. I am. I'm. He doesn't speak about it often. Well, I mean, I'm getting rid of the frogs being turned. Paul Joseph 
Watson has pretty it. much indicated he's gay. Oh, has he? Yeah. He's, oh. he's, he's, he's shown pictures of himself with another man on Twitter and said date night. Uh, and it's, oh, it's been I, the kind I of, don't know uh, anything about it. I oh, find though. Fisher, like, what does Fisher do in his spare time? I've been watching these. I've been watching the YouTube right for a year. I've told you that. And, mm. and, and that's and, a really scary place to live. It, it's I don't live there. I don't live there. And, Even and, visit. And the reason I visit <laughs> is because I, I recognize the relevancy of it, that, that people are into this shit, like in a frightening amount of people in a frightening capacity. I wanted to add to this. Um, so I checked with a friend of mine who works at YouTube in the communications department about what happened because I was really confused. Like, I have trouble with the hate speech argument because I know a lot of liberals make that about stuff, you know, Trump mm. might say or whatever. And sure. I've never jumped on that bandwagon because I'm not really I'm never sure exactly what defines it. And I always go with like the the putting you in danger thing sure. if you're you know, yelling fire in a crowd at the movie theater thing. Well, don't do that. Don't do that. It's okay. We won't do that. keep going. <laughs> Sorry. It's a, it's a legal metaphor. That's a, yeah. We, we are sensitive about that. Yeah. Libertarian minefield. Go on. Go on. Oh my God. I feel so uncomfortable now. Okay. Um, anyway, she, my friend who works at YouTube, I said, you know, why did he get banned? I'm hearing it's not hate speech. Right. And she said he got a strike and his videos were, removed but not permanently because of hate speech and child endangerment. And then he was terminated because he repeatedly violated his live stream ban. Mm -hmm. So he was trying to circumvent the ban by then like popping up on other channels. Mm -hmm. And she said, and that's why he got terminated. Mm -hmm. So to your point about danger, he was to talking about the Newtown family, for instance, he was sure. putting people in physical danger and YouTube couldn't be a party to that. And that totally made sense to me. And I thought it was quite illogical that Facebook and whoever and Apple and, and Apple and whatever hadn't and Spotify hadn't figured that out, that you need to go with something more authoritative than just hate speech because everyone right. can fight with What's the definition of hate speech? Yeah. Yeah, and then you end up with like all those red X's on everyone's Twitter, kind of like the Kate Steinle avatar, yep, you know, yep. all, all the, the red X's. Now. Yeah. And it becomes part of this movement. And there's a way around it because he was actually doing a really bad thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. He wasn't just saying stuff that upsets your feelings. Uh, like uh, he was but, endangering uh, a frequent, people. A frequent conservative rejoinder to Alex Jones's uh, getting kicked off is, what about Farrakhan? What about all these yeah. people? And they're right. If, 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 to the extent I don't buy into hate speech as a defined legal term because it's not. Mm -hmm. But certainly Louis Farrakhan's a racist and preaches racist stuff and, and you know, incite, incites yeah. people based on identity. Uh, it's a strong word, I, I would argue. But, but to, to, to my knowledge, he, to my knowledge, he has never directly sicked anybody on a person. You know, uh, at least recently in recent decades. <laughs> Nothing left. Oh, that looked like no, you were about to say something. No, no, no. I mean, that, that's I, sort I, of I, my I, I thought the Malcolm X. Directly I, spell it out. I, I, I thought yeah. the Malcolm X reference was was. Oh, thank you. I got Actually, it. <laughs> I didn't. So that's helpful. I, yeah. I just want to point out. So I I'm on Twitter. You can follow me at Matt Welch. Um, case that wasn't clear. Uh, and I was just noticing that <laughs> at least once a day and actually more often, uh, people, including Jeff Jarvis, who's the guy has been a friend of mine, sort of a new, new media person, like we'll talk seriously, like, you know, we'll write like tweets to Jack and say, Jack, yeah. you know what? Oh, that's a big thing lately. You know, yeah. uh, it, Donald Trump has violated your terms of service. Mm -hmm. It's time to ban him. Mm. So I, I just put up a poll uh, right before I came out here. 
and now has 535 votes of people who follow me, right? I would presume that people who follow me on Twitter will probably trend more towards a civil libertarian bent. And I said, all right, so like, seriously, how much of you uh, do you think we should ban Donald Trump or not? It's 20% think that we should ban Donald wow. Trump from twi Twitter. Think about that, of my followers. So if it's 20% of my followers, that's got to be at least 10% of Camille's followers, 30% of Fisher's, 75% of Tarlov. No, I can't get liberals to follow me. <laughs> I'm serious. No, like, I, I, I totally believe it. So many of them who like meet me will vouch for me. Uh -huh. And it just like that. Literally, my followers are all that Pepe racist frog. They're Keith Steinle's face. Oh, no. It's like, you know, like old men in basements. So, I so don't what, know. Is, what is that? Is it the contamination of having some affiliation with News Corp? Is that is that what that is? That I guess. Is, does it impair your I reputation think so. among liberals? There's something interesting going on. And Philippe Reigns, who's been Hillary's kind of right hand forever, mm -hmm. took it straight on in an interview, um, I think it was with Tucker, where he just said, you know, to the liberals out there, like, show up. Like, you want to hang out at MSNBC and you want to, like, pat each other on the back and say, like, Donald Trump will be gone in 20 minutes. Like, don't worry. Or collusion, collusion, collusion. But, like, the fight is with people who you don't agree with. Uh -huh. And I certainly feel that way, that it's much better to have a conversation with folks you don't agree with fundamentally so you can get somewhere and maybe you change someone's mind about something or you can sure, tell sure, them something sure. they didn't know. Yeah. Um, but there are a lot of liberals who like echo chamber life a lot better. And there's like a purity test about it. Yeah. Uh -huh. And it's a very funny thing to me. And obviously Bernie bros, not fans of mine. Um, Were you a Hillary person? Yeah. Big time. Uh, you an anti Bernie bro person. Did you yes. use Bernie bro as a pejorative? Yeah. Whoa. Sorry. Um, <laughs> no, I Michael Tracy's going to be so pissed. I would, I would have been nicer about it. I actually, I appreciate a lot of what he did to galvanize energy in the party. Um, but I, once it got into the world of like Trump and Hillary are the same, mm. I was like, you are never to be forgiven. Mm. And when you look at his disciples out there, like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez um, and the kind of people that they're endorsing, like going down to Kansas and endorsing like the plain vanilla white guy who's totally with their platform against the minority female candidate who ended up winning. Uh, in the end, you see a lot of the divisions of 2016, certainly about like a, the Bernie movement, very, very white and the rest of the Democratic Party, very diverse. Mm. And the Dem Socialists have never been able to do that crossover. They had a few spokespeople of color, like Simone Sanders and Rosario Dawson, and people were very vocal about it. But generally speaking, certainly the African-American community was like, we're not into this. And what, what is that? I don't I don't understand. I don't I, understand that. At I've all. got a theory, but go on. OK, I'm interested because I've always like which I was talking about a little bit at the beginning here. I always thought it was because the. His platform has very little nuance to it. It's just that economic argument. Hmm. And he throughout life has not been great on guns, 
first of all. And the NRA used to dig him a little it's bit. because we kind of had the opposite view here. But go on. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I no, think. No, no. He's, he's a Vermont guy. He's a Vermont guy. He's a Vermont guy. Oh, oh, that's what you mean. Not great on guns. And then you say we have that. Uh, yeah. Yes. I understand. Yeah. And go he on. voted so that you could bring them on Amtrak uh-huh. and things like things that are big issues. And I think also just in that primary, the Clintons have long been preferred in mm-hmm. the black community, though, that they didn't turn out to vote. Yeah. Because because the because the guns and stuff doesn't really begin to explain so far as I'm concerned, like what it is about those candidates that makes them unpalatable to black voters well, who was- tend to vote in a block. But as you say, like the Clintons, I'm thinking to myself, well, maybe what it is, is to the, to the extent that black voters tend, or I, I'll say it this way. And you may, you, if you don't like it, everyone disagrees with me. I'm just going to say that ahead of time. No one is endorsing this perspective. This is Purely my perspective. Thank you. That's really yeah, <sighs> <no>. worried. <laughs> Good. Stain. Amongst amongst black people, there tends to be a particularly aggressive effort to police acceptable opinion, like within that tribal group, and it extends to a lot of different things, especially and including politics. And the fact that there can be sort of acceptable establishment candidates. Right. And these new offshoots, like until those new offshoots have the appropriate branding and acceptance, they simply cannot, they can't thrive in the party. And I, I wonder this, if this that's the I, only obstacle to to Cortez and company sort of catching on, to Bernie catching but on. But they don't even, I was going to add to it, so it's guns, it's criminal justice reform, it's economic policies that are specifically tailored mm-hmm. to black communities, like kind of like Rand Paul's Enterprise Zones. I didn't really like that either, I suppose. No, but from a Dem Mm -hmm. and focus that way, but also just showing up. Mm -hmm. I mean, Hillary Clinton goes into every church and she had the support of all the mothers of the movement. And she's very comfortable like that. And Bernie Sanders prefers to- Terrible record on criminal justice. Yeah. Yeah. No, there was something very similar to, uh, and Jessica, you reminded me of this when you're talking about Bernie, um, to the way- that he talked and was received um, by the black community, to use a terrible phrase. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I saw covering Ralph Nader in 2000, which mm-hmm. I, I covered that campaign, which is that Bernie talks about class. Bernie talks about, uh, he, he, at least until about halfway through the camp, when he got started to get competitive, he started to change his tune mm-hmm. on immigration, on um, Black Lives Matter, on a bunch of stuff. He started like figuring out what he, the minimum that he needed to do right. to make it right with people who were going towards Hillary. But largely his analysis, which kind of resonates with me uh, and certainly probably more to, to Camille even, is like, no, it's a system wide thing. Right. And then if we overthink about, uh, about sort of interest groups, then we're distorting mm-hmm. our, our analysis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's one element of it. But another element of it, I, I, and this is conjecture on my part, but I, but I, I've reason to believe that that might be true is that, um, especially in the context of modern politics, um, the black block, the voting block is incredibly pragmatic, yep. right? We need to protect these rights because we're afraid that the other team wants to go after those rights. Whether or not that's true or not, it kind of doesn't matter for the yeah. purposes of the analysis. So the, the narrative um, is there. Yeah. So if you don't want to get behind some kind of potentially fringy, not uh, electorally acceptable 
anything, let alone, you know, regardless of whether it uh, exactly where it falls in the ideological spectrum this way or that way, the other way. But like if you are fringe, if you are presenting something that's not going to play well in Peoria, um, then you're going to jeopardize our majority of X. Um, and so I think that that has a permanent uh, kind of break or drag on both kind of marginal um, sort of new offshoots within the larger parties, but definitely all third parties. Like I've, I've oh. uh, like following green parties, you would never see a black people in the audience ever. Like uh, we, we, Nader went to East St. Louis and couldn't get black people oh. in the, in the audience. It, like you have to work hard almost to do that. So it's a combination of that approach, but also that like, look, you know, you are flirting with disaster here. You're going to jeopardize um, our, our, access to protecting uh, either power or just protecting ourselves from a, a, a perceived uh, attack on our status by running your fringe shit in here. So, and that applies to even many steps ahead, right? Like starting in primaries to elect candidates that then will be good in that general, right? right so this is just like, yeah, because there have been, a, there's been a lot of digital ink spilled about, um, African-American women voters being the most influential voting bloc in the country, that hmm. they are the most accurate in picking winners and they turn out and they organize they're even when they're not older. They're responsible for the Obama majority mm-hmm. because right. they voted disproportionately more than any other bloc for Obama, right? And uh, like- Stacey Abrams now, the uh, candidate for governor in Georgia hmm. um, and even not other black candidates like Ralph Northam, for instance, uh, Phil Murphy, et cetera, galvanized huge amounts of African-American female support. So that really, that also just, it's maybe it's kind of sexist, but like not really that your explanation makes a ton of sense in, in that way to me, because women are more pragmatic and they're, and they're planning ahead. Right. I I remember uh, talking to Al Sharpton on, on MSNBC because his, uh, what's his, the name of his, his group? The New Voter Network oh, or the New yeah. whatever it is. Um, National Action Network. National Action Nan. Um, so whatever you might think of it, it, it's a network of humans, and they're and they're organized <laughs> politically. No, I mean I'm just saying, like it's a. It's true. He has some connection with the grassroots, and he would would tell me during the 2016 election, Hillary's got problems, and so would Melissa Harris Perry and Joy Reid for that matter. Um, Hillary's got problems because those vote totals for Barack Obama were a historically high right. among Black women, and they're not excited. They're just not excited right now. Uh, Hillary's got to find a way to make them excited or make them feel threatened or make them feel something. And she's not doing it. All three of them uh, warned me very uh, specifically about that. And and in fact, the, those turnout those turnout levels were not, they would just went back down to normal. But do you think they can ever, and I realize we're dominating the conversation, which is rude, That's but fine. can they ever get to, for a white candidate, can it ever get as high as, as the, it did as the for, thing for Barack a, Obama, for Barack and, Obama, or if we have Kamala, Harris, you know there are other and to tee Kamala up Harris and to tee up Camille get, out, uh, the get Obama, Obama level is I, I, even even being a woman. I, I don't believe. Yeah, she you will. don't know what you're talking about. You don't think so? I'm telling you, really, definitively. Really? She can do it. Yeah, you 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 Whoa. all are you all are are being a little too cerebral about this. You really are. I don't like, know. I, see, I have, see a lot of arrows a, thrown at Kamala a, Harris from the left. Let's black, listen to the non-black guy. A black female candidate, like galvanizing support amongst who is effectively a mainstream Democrat galvanizing support from black females to the extent the theory that has been posited is true, that they are important and influential. She will totally get their votes. 
tons and tons you, of them. You, so it, yeah, right, since they we're, would, since, they would since totally we're, support. Since, since we're here, yeah, whatever the arrows are, the, the narrative running, doesn't matter. As Dave Weigel would say, okay. she's running. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. And there's going to be maybe 17 candidates. They will, it's like there were 17 Republicans. I've seen a list with 35. 35. So yeah. so uh, <laughs> among all these, you know, like you know, again, few that you know. I mean, they can't get her elected on 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 her own on their own, but they will love her. No, but so, so she will so, she will enjoy she, enormous she, support. Let's let's just and I don't even do political prognostication. I just feel so good about this but we're because doing of my now. experience with the people. I mean, and I just mean people. And general, you know those probably. people no, who have no color true. at all. The, yeah, the, the, that's so that's what I just said. 20, with the people, I, I feel you in general. 20, 2020 is happening. Yeah, all right. It's it's almost upon us. We're uh-huh. we're less than four months from the, we're three months now from the midterms. Yeah, the, the day after which the twenty twenty campaign begins. Yeah. So uh, we got a whole bunch of you know Cory Booker, uh-huh. Kirsten Gillibrand, Andrew Cuomo, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, not maybe Cuomo. Yeah, I mean, listen, not to the names are running. Cuomo. George Pataki ran. Yeah, none of these president. names. Andrew Cuomo names will at least have a pack. Pataki couldn't yeah. even get on the third these, stage. These are all the reasons that I hate um, political progress. But it's going to happen, all right? And Kamala Harris will be among those people, uh-huh. all right? Yeah. And so among these these people, throw even Elizabeth Warren in there yeah. too, who swears she's not running. Mm-hmm. Last weekend, she kind of took it back, by the way. Yeah. At the yeah. Netroots, the progressive Gosh, we conference. Talk about that. Let's Before we pivot, though, among these these people, do you think Kamala Harris can steamroll them all? I just, I just, I didn't say that. I just said she'll have the support of those women. But because, we, we, because the choice, it. the choice is not so much about ideas. Well, I never disputed that she yeah, might have the, 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 the choice of, of that particular demographic. But the, but we, we just came off of a conversation was, can that demographic carry a winner? Like yeah, I carried Obama. I said already. Right. I don't do the prognostication. I want to talk about from Jessica Tarloff. Uh, who's your kind of short list right now of what we have uh, running for Democratic president? Not in terms of necessarily who you want, but uh, like looking at at who can win and galvanize. For me, uh, one thought is like it. It's either going to be a. Joe Biden runs for one term just to like you people are all so crazy. Just let's get us through, which I don't think is going to excite anybody Mm -hmm. or it's going to be. I don't know who the person is because it's not Kamala Harris because she's a a shitty progressive. Um, uh, I mean, by which I mean, she's not a progressive. She doesn't excite the progressive base. Based on her actual policies, maybe on her box checking, yes, but she's a oh, she's a Democrat, prosecutor. not a Dem socialist. So. Yes, uh, it's going to be a Dem socialist. It's going to be like oh, I don't agree. The 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 beating heart of like of uh, the 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 thing that we haven't tried and that we so need to that'll excite people is the Dem socialist. I agree stuff. that the the, 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 the like a, a populist leftist will do way better than a mainstream Democrat. Because the mainstream Democrat ran last time, the most yeah. qualified candidate of all time. It's not, and it's lost. not about it's not about ideas. Huh. So the reason I don't agree with that and yesterday's primaries are kind of even bearing out this argument, the progressives are they're not doing well. Mm. They do very well on Twitter and they give great interviews and they can rally. Well, nice <laughs> great interviews. Kinda. Depends. Very amusing to me. I mean, even that if you kick if you can't survive Trevor Noah <laughs> and, and Pod right. Save America, you're right. You're right. You're in a lot of liberal yeah. trouble. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Um, and Joe Crowley should have shown up to debate. So mm. whatever. Joe, Joe Crowley might have visited his own district once every two years. He didn't even have to. Just one debate, especially like the like, Latino you, one. Like, are you kidding, kid? Like, who is this kid? That's all you have to do is stand on the stage. Are you, is this a right. joke? Yeah. Like, and really? then people would have been like, 
or the 26,000 I mean, showed up would I have mean, been like, yeah, it think, is a joke. Think, and, think, think about it. 4,000 4, votes has gotten uh, Ocasio-Cortez on every magazine in this country. Right, but she's... Yeah. Yes. I don't know. Yes. She will be in Congress, I think, a long time. I think there's a, a real missed opportunity with her. I have such great respect for Elise Stefanik, the Repu- who was the youngest Republican in the House. She's from New York as well. Mm. And she got in at like 30. So Alexandria will be younger than her. But she has just studied her butt off mm. and like gotten to work. And she has like Facebook lives with her constituents. She's totally millennialed out mm. for a party that is not tech savvy at all, except for sending inappropriate pictures or something like that. And um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, I thought, had that potential, but she didn't read up. She knows how to use a smartphone. She's just not reading articles. She does. But I want to say to your question about who is it going to be. So in terms of top of the ticket, I think that's really open game. And I, I feel right now that if Jerry Brown were a decade younger, that he would be the man for that job. He's too old now to do Holy it. Holy cow. <laughs> I think she's totally right by that. I, it, Thank you. You, I, you know what I'm saying? You, you actually just scrambled my brain because I think oh. you actually are right. But I'm I'm actually, I'm a, I'm a, the youngest generation X you could possibly be. Okay. But young, but old enough to remember Jerry Brown giving Bill Clinton a run for his money in 1992. Right. Exactly. Which a lot of people looking back at it now, since now we have people saying like he should have, you know, we should have kicked him out and he's just got disinvited from a New Hampshire Dems event and all of that. Who? Our, Brown? Bill Clinton. Oh, Clinton. No, Jerry Brown, everyone wants him to come to okay, everything. But a lot of people are trying in their head to be like, how would life be different if it had been Jerry Brown? Wow. So I, I think it's who that whoever that person can be will get it. I think Kamala Harris has a good shot. I agree with Camille about the galvanizing the black community, especially black women. I have a solid VP pick. This is my dream. Tim and Kane? he and no, do I do really like Tim Kaine. I. Uh, he is who Hillary should have chosen, and it was down to the two of them. Sherrod Brown I've heard is Sherrod such a, a lot. key yeah. to this puzzle. If you had Kamala Harris and Sherrod Brown, who is pro-Trump tariffs, who has progressive and moderate bona fides, quietly pro brings Ohio. No, no. If he, he talks about it, it's not. It's certainly not something like he wants to talk about all the time. Yeah. But his voters know who he is. Uh-huh. He works very well. Quick yes or no? Are you pro-Trump? Tariffs? No. Okay. I am listening to people like Trumpka and our ba- our union worker base uh-huh. that seems to like it, uh-huh. just so I can understand this a little bit more. Like, I grew up here in New York City. Like, I don't know what it's like to lose my steel mill job or, you know, to wish that we still had coal and things like that. So mm-hmm. I get it. Um, it's, it's but still- it looks like the long-term damage is going to yeah. be— way, way, way worse I mean, than those, anything we're going to get out of it. Those folks have a tendency to do sort of economics by anecdote as well. I mean, right. it's, it's the one it's the one story that we can tell about a job, which, by the way, by reminds way. me. Thank you. Michael Moynihan, our very good friend. There you go. On Friday has his uh, Trump's trade war special that will be airing on Friday in the slot where the uh, HBO Vice program airs. And I'm not saying that I've seen it already. You have, though, right? I'm not saying that I've seen it already. Okay. I don't know. Where would I get a screener? I mean, how would I see that? I can't see that sort of thing. I'm not allowed. I mean, you do things at a place called Free Thing. I do, but I do so many things. And I have so <laughs> many friends. Shout outs to the plug. Um, you don't know what I mean by that. It's the sneakers. I, I mean, these no. are my new off-white um, Air Maxes. They're oh, really cool. Super exclusive. 
Like very exclusive. This is the this is the version one. That's like nineteen. Do you still have the tag thing on it though? Yeah, well, the, the red tag is that's what it's the off white thing. Is. It comes like that. Yeah. Oh, so like you didn't thing. steal them? No, no, it'll explode. Wow. Paint that's one wow. that's racist. Um, two. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean important. it that way. These yeah. are very important. No, it's okay. You always do. You never you never really do, but you have to. It's just it's in there. It just that's an interesting yeah. marketing. Go ahead and take some. Photos of that, yeah. yeah, it's working very well. This is our, yeah, these are this is our pre-show. Shout out to the plug. Shout out to the plug. Uh, um, what? Wait, what? What the hell was Moynihan. that? Moynihan. Moynihan. Vice. Oh, Moynihan. Yeah, you should watch the thing. Yeah. It's really. They have yeah. a three-minute thing on uh, on YouTube as a yeah. plug on Moynihan's a Twitter feed, which looked great. But you've seen the whole thing, and it's uh, it's, it's good. Stellar. I mean, he's at, at, I mean, that's what I hear. He's talking. What? What? What's wrong with that? <laughs> um, he's out there talking to factory workers, most of whom supported Trump. To be honest, um, both he's talking to a lot of people. Yeah, both who supported it, uh, both who uh, have have been beneficiaries of it, and who have been non beneficiaries. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Fifth Column fans, you know, give your boy some love. Friday night on HBO, Michael Moynihan will be the lead correspondent on this thirty-minute doc Word. on Vice Word. News. I still haven't heard from Jessica, who's going to be the president, uh, presidential. Well, she just told you. Oh, she I, did. She I did. Vice president. That's what oh. I heard. No, I just, I she think that the top of the ticket is harder than, I think Sherrod Brown is so perfect. He can't carry yeah. the top of there the ticket. There isn't anybody obvious, right? Like Kamala no. like, checks the boxes, but she's bad. But it's 2020. But it's 2020. But we, we already so had Obama. No, we but we had there. Obama already. That's what's concerning. We have had no breakout moments. Hmm. And I look at who Obama's meeting with. Right. He he's been taking meetings with people, a lot of big city mayors like mm-hmm. Eric Garcetti, Mitch Landrew. And you can't build name ID like that in that amount of time. And that's why I I think there's some reason to think Joe Biden might be like, I'm going to bail you guys out for Place one term. Over. And then I really need to take a nap. He's uh, and can I can I just say like, we don't know. Don't nobody know. Oh, like no. Donald Donald Trump out of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, we obviously we can all hand in our credentials as prognosticators. Well, I already every, did. But yeah. who's no, going like, to be the third party? Like Jessica, I don't know. Jessica's uh, has has some insight into the Democratic thing, which is why. But, she, yeah, but she's it's, telling it's, you it's hard. She just said it. that's it's too hard. All right, I guess you just said. And by the way, I'm about the Libertarian to... Party. I'm I, I've got that shit covered. I I know. Yeah, but, and there's a very good chance that they'll make some noise this year. Um, I just want to throw this in quickly okay. before we please, move on please. and. Full disclosure, not that this matters to this. I used to work for Bloomberg, and I'm very partial to him That's in okay. life. What is yeah, wrong with. I you? mean, we trust your opinion more if you've accepted money from someone. <laughs> That's how we feel. If you were a Russian bot, I might exp- <laughs> respect that more. A lot of my followers also <laughs> Russian bots. Um, <laughs> I, it's a hell of an endorsement. There is yeah. talk again about Bloomberg mm. coming oh. in, and he could, at the very least, screw with Trump. I mean, if he ran on the Repu- if he challenged him in the Republican, all of the reasons, side. all of the reasons that he was supposedly not able to win, totally lies. Just, just for the record, looking at it, Who, looking, Bloomberg? looking yeah. at it in retrospect. Who? Bloomberg. Bloomberg. But where would he run on a Republican or Democratic ticket? He Doesn't aban- he abandoned I think the Republic- Republican. He abandoned the Republican Party <laughs> no. as mayor. He, he, he. Oh, they don't care about that. Yeah, it does national, not matter. National- there are so many. I believe there are so many rich people in this country that held their nose and voted for the tax cuts and Neil Gorsuch or whatever. Yeah. But Bloomberg that, didn't do any of that stuff. Oh, he, I, he would be much more compromising. And if he was a Republican president, mm-hmm. he'd have to do something. I just want to point out that I put uh, Michael Bloomberg on our uh, cover of Reason Magazine when we had our 45th anniversary issue uh-huh. about 45 enemies of freedom. Uh, who was oh. the cover? Michael Bloomberg. 
Is this all about sodas? This is a New York thing. Yeah, fuck them. There was something you said earlier. You're talking about your followers and how difficult it can be to get liberals to follow you. And I asked the question about sort of News Corp. And the truth is that all of us, as I'm realizing, have a bit of a, a News Corp connection in that we've all worked in that building and been non-conservative people who have heterodox perspectives as people in that building, maybe finding some agreement in certain places, but heterodox in general, not really fitting in. And it, it does seem to me that there's something about being willing to show up at the table and that that is really important and that there is, in fact, both amongst conservatives um, and perhaps distinctly amongst people on the left now, a tendency to say, you're with that team. I'm not even talking to you. I'm remembering some of the a moment from the conversation that Don Lemon had with LeBron James, not to go back to the the first conversation, but just a moment where the controversy, the reason that Donald Trump responded to to LeBron, um, or not LeBron, but he actually criticized LeBron, but was more so criticizing Don Lemon, at least saying that there's a hierarchy of stupid of and dumbness. Don Lemon is dumber. Um, but LeBron, uh, Lemon says, uh, what would you say to the president if he was sitting right here? James, I would never sit across from him. Mm. And Lemon says, you would never, you don't want to talk to him? No, I'd sit across from Barack though. Which, I mean, granted, there are lots of people who think Donald Trump is sort of beyond the pale. He is mm -hmm. the standard and we just simply can't talk to him. We can't be at the table. But there's something about the Antifa, um, the Antifa things that were happening in Portland just this past weekend where I think it was, uh, what was the name of the group? Prayer. Patriot, Patriot Prayer. Prayer um, was, was hosting Gibson. some sort of uh, rally. Um, Patriot Prayer has been described as a far right group. Um, I've even heard people describe them as white nationalists. It's not obvious to me that those labels actually make much sense Weren't with respect the, to them. The, wasn't the Patriot Prayer the protagonist of that great, was it Matt Labash story about Berkeley? Yep. Yep. Yeah, well, oh, okay. So that's so, and they're not way they're, more nuanced. They're than, not white nationalists. Yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah. Like so, we 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 flirted with this before the show, and uh -huh. I held my tongue for for this very moment. Yeah. Um, Patriot Prayer. I I after reading just about everything that's been written about them for the past year, I don't know what they stand for. Yeah. Other, I mean, they 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 say that they're for like conservative libertarian values. They're for free speech. Free speech. They're for they're for the American way. Right. They're for they're and they're a religion. They're they're generally for Christianity. Mm -hmm. they, they're, 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 that's where the prayer part comes Some in. Western chauvinism <laughs> stuff. But the tactics. <laughs> no, I mean, they're they're the, not. You don't have to apologize they're, for our they're, values. They're, 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 it's not fair to call them white nationalists. It's not fair to call them neo Nazis or anything like that. And they don't appear to be. Uh, they don't even appear to be as undisciplined as some groups who like scatter off and engage in violence. The one thing that kind of creeps me out and makes me suspect of whatever the mission is that is really not clearly defined is Joey Gibson will uh, a frequent tactic. And this was shown in a couple of documentaries, including a vice documentary. Uh, what he'll do is he like when the cops separate them, which is, happens all the time. They put them on separate sides of the street, Antifa or other groups and Patriot Prayer and their various allies. And Joey Gibson will cross the street and get in the face of Antifa, not no, make sure not to initiate any physical contact, but basically wait until he's punched. Okay. And then when he's punched, he'll go back and be like, we got that on video. See, 
the, the, the I mean, intolerant. Why, that makes you suspicious? I mean, anybody who's willing to put their chin on the line to make their point. I think I he's mean, going over for he, the specific purpose of getting punched so that the cops will then pull him back and then as, put him back to the other side of the street. As I said, anyone who's willing to get punched <laughs> in the face the to point make their of point. That? What is the point of that? The point is that he gets to look like a good guy and they look you like know, bad you, guys. If one Antifa guy came over and put his chin over on the other side and uh-huh. he was punched, Might happen. Uh, is that guy a hero too? I'm just saying like anyone who does that at a minimum, there's a modicum of respect that I'm willing to grant them. It's, that doesn't make me suspicious immediately. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit of a masochistic <laughs> thing. But, a but, a, like, oh, but, but this hurts. is a bit of a digression. This is this is Fisher's, Fisher's particular concern with this group. I think the broader thing mm-hmm. that I was getting at and that I wanted to submit to the group is if, in fact, this trend of not being willing to sit down at the table with those people, the only folks who seem willing to show up when conservatives are there, whatever that means today, Trumpian conservatives, um, are Antifa, at least en masse. And when they do show up, the tendency seems to be to blur the line between the very worst actual monsters who exist in our polity and anyone who is willing to don a MAGA hat. The spectrum of toxic ideas is growing too large and is becoming too mainstream. I respect LeBron a great deal. Uh, in, in, and the stuff I, he's doing with the school is amazing. Yeah, and and I think I, I think I think for you know like going to the Lakers is amazing. Well, <laughs> maybe a little less. Neither here nor there, you know. But I, mean, uh, I want him to win. Yeah, the uh, same, you know. But like uh, again, for for somebody who. Like, I'm not one of these shut up and dribble, shut up and sing type people. I don't mind when athletes or, or you celebrities. You told me that when we first were getting started here. Like, I was talking. But you can't you dribble. You said so shut up and fine. dribble. I did. It's actually what I, you said to yeah, me. Yeah, that's right. But it's, you know, it's more about dribbling. Yeah. So I can dribble better. I understand. <laughs> the Le- LeBron, and it's funny because there was a great deal of conservatives who actually came to LeBron's defense who were like, of all the people that Trump might want to call right. out, LeBron is not the guy. Um, but it's still unfortunate that LeBron's hasn't quite reached the level of sophistication where he could say, yeah, I'll even talk to the piece I, of shit that, that, that I don't want to talk to the people, the person who I think is actually like harming the country and see if I can try to reach him or reach his followers. He won't even do that. I, I actually don't think that's true. And I, as you know, I'm a big advocate of running into the fire and just being like, yeah. this is what I stand for. You and, live that principle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, um, I actually liked the fact that he said I wouldn't sit across from him because he's actually putting his principles to work. So LeBron James is um, a great philanthropist. He is a great education advocate. He has been a criminal justice reform advocate, and he has the power to impact the country, I actually think, more than Trump will when the history books are written in terms of being able to change the way that we look at athletes in this country and the way that we look at black athletes in this country and what they can achieve going back to pattern baldness. Let's not. Yeah. And he just owns (laughs) it now. Yeah. No, but I, no, LeBron's will, great. I mean, he, no, no, I don't great, think anyone's not avatar. saying no, that. No, but it, it, it's a very classic thing. And when I debated about the LeBron comment, so I, I happen to think that President Trump is racist. And hmm. that tracks all the way back to the 1980s for me with I'll, the housing I'll, I'll policy. I'll throw my hand up. Right. So- I don't think that tweet was racist. You know, he didn't say anything in it explicitly. And we could go obviously through the, you know, the trope, the classic racist trope that 
black people are dumb and whatever. I don't even think he meant that. I think he was just he a lot of angry. People, he does, but he, does. he always insults the intelligence of black people. But we're not here yes, to debate yes, that. Yes. Well, only only the, only the people he doesn't like he insults their intelligence or people who are insulting him. Um, beyond that, I think he's so got blacks for Trump. Black black friends. No IQ. Yeah, and <laughs> Tiger Woods is fine because Tiger Woods has never said anything. Uh huh. Yeah. So all of that is yeah. It's fine, but I don't know why you have to, if you are as powerful and as well-intentioned as LeBron James, Mm -hmm. why you have to sit across from him when you can just go about your business, Mm -hmm. like changing the world for the better without having to sit there. Yeah, I guess you don't don't have to. No, no, but people make that argument. Like, why won't you show up? Would you, Camille? I would. I would totally accept an invitation to the White House to talk to the president. I would just say all the Even if it I was Barack say. Obama? Yeah, to- absolutely. I would love that crap. <laughs> After the Kim Kardashian West situation where she went to the White House and she managed to get someone released from I prison. I met that woman, by the way. Oh, did you? Oh, wow. In the Hannity green room. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, she was coming on after me and she was wonderful. Oh. It was, I was yeah. so excited when it happened and yeah. I'm rooting for so many. I love now that small town papers are telling the stories of mm-hmm. people who deserve to not be in jail now because this is started, obviously it started with Obama pardoning it, you know, but yeah, I met her and she yeah. was everything you would imagine. She seems to have a, a totally, um, like a wonderful Christian view of things. There's like a, like she has like an, like an aura you can see mm. about, you know, strength and forgiveness mm. and hard work and family and, Christ. I mean, things that I like all, I'm not Christian, but all of the, all the other stuff, I obviously you felt strongly there. Some of those virtues. That was, I mean, like that it's, was, that was one of the, the weirdest things is people like tutting her ability to influence the president. Yeah, like how could that be a bad I mean, thing? But that's, but that's why, but that's where I'm going. I mean, oh, after, I, afterwards, like Donald Trump says to all the NFL players, tell me who you want to get out of prison. And it was maybe a week and a half or two weeks before there was some sort of formal response from anyone. It was a group of NFL players who wrote um, a a New York Times opinion column, if I'm not mistaken, um, which essentially said that that this is bigger than just a list of names. And I don't know if they sent along the list of names that he asked for. Look. I'm going to take I'm going to take you up on this offer and I will ride this as far as I can. And someone like Donald Trump. Whether or not someone considers him racist, one thing that seems pretty obvious to me is he really cares what you think about him. And to the extent he believes that adopting some perspective might actually improve your perspective of him, he might be willing to move in your direction. So, yeah, I mean, I think LeBron is the sort of person that could probably influence a Donald Trump were he to sit down with him and have a conversation with him. And quite frankly, to the extent you dislike Donald Trump. And I'm, I'm less of the perspective that Donald Trump is obviously um, a racist and has a long track record of racism. Um, but that's just because I have a particularly high standard, a high bar for that sort of thing. Um, like Barack Obama failed in so many profound yeah. ways on important issues that LeBron ostensibly cares about that beyond just kind of partisan affinity, it's not obvious to me why one would beyond a conviction that this person is a racist, um, but just decide that they won't sit with this person, that they're beyond the pale when you, you might be able to bad, get something out of it. I think he's a fundamentally bad person. Yeah, which is, I, and I hear that. I know that that's the narrative, and I suspect that's no, part I mean, of it's, what it's, animates like the, 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 and the current even if it's mood not the narrative, not being willing to accept people. Even if it's not the narrative, it's, yeah. it, it's a completely 
acceptable and understandable conclusion, mm-hmm. I think. Um, I, I mean, I would to not ta- sit with evil people. I would take the meeting to yeah. be clear. I would um, take the meeting because I, I, I want to see what I would. Do, but but we don't have that experience. LeBron also like is a basketball player with a high school education who may feel like going into this viper's pit will only elevate Trump right. and, and that he may not like, you know, he may. I'm sure he wouldn't say this, this explicitly, but like. Going into a place with a bad faith actor can trip yourself up, and he may not want to. Mean, well, look uh, like- he may not want to give the you know like Trump Trump's the president. He has, he has the biggest platform on the planet. Yeah. But when LeBron steps into a room with him, it's an even bigger platform, and he may be like, you know what? You could dictate some terms. That it's a betrayal of your community, and that's I mean you've seen a backlash against Kanye for that. Mm-hmm. That. You know, like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. Like, you don't have to. I mean, if you want to have some sort of productive conversation, that might be one thing. But you certainly shouldn't be out there, like, tweeting, you know, I like the way he thinks and whatever. But LeBron actually was quite explicit. <laughs> let's, let's be honest. <laughs> he told us in that interview why he doesn't want to deal with Trump, because he said that he uses sports to divide us. And that yeah, sports is... Which is uh, true. It's for unification. Undeniably and true, Camille, you shrugging motherfucker. I, I am. I am shrugging. I, I am. So, but he did better he in answering that than the, anybody I, I else. I know it was. It's a, it, thank you, Jessica, because that's a fantastic stuff. point. Because so, for 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 for. By the way, a, just before you stop, am I the only one drinking out of this whiskey bottle? I'm drinking. No, Andrew. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. The, the uh, for the longest time. Anytime somebody makes a activist stand as an athlete, it's why are you invoking politics in sports? Yeah, why are you? As, why are you? Yeah, as though sports isn't riddled with politics sure. constantly. Uh-huh. You know, be, be, forget about all the military stuff which we've gone over ad nauseum. But you know, Trump, like the, the, the kneeling stuff, was kind of over. Like the 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 Fuhrer. Oh, Trump made this yeah, a problem in 2017. In 2016, Colin Kaepernick owned that stuff. Right. And he made he made Colin Kaepernick relevant again. Yeah, Kaepernick people, was people not stop paying attention to that. Kaepernick wasn't in the league, and there might have been a handful of guys still doing it. Well, he and, was in the league at the time. No, not in 2017. He wasn't. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. right? You're right. Yeah. Right. So in because I remember I was in Cincinnati on a baseball trip. Yeah. What's up, Bo Stevenson? <laughs> and uh, we were. Uh, the, the when 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 Trump made his statement at, at some like you know because because Trump loves rallies you know that that's the whole reason mm-hmm. he ran for president so he was having one of these rallies even though he was president and he said you know we should fire all these people on the spot if they kneel this was September 2017 in it brought the whole thing back when he was stumping for Roy Moore uh-huh. he said and he called them SOBs yeah which is. It's not how he talks about white people, by the way. I, I mean, it's how it's the way he talks about all sorts of people. He says all kinds of scummy things all the time. It's it's not a consequence of them being black. It's a consequence of it being a great applause line and think, it being people think, who dislike I think him. that you don't know. I, I, but this is just it. I think that you don't know. I, here's what I'm doing. I'm going with what is almost certainly the simplest explanation, as opposed to believing that it is a calculated decision to denigrate people of color in a particular way because you're sending yeah, secret I th- signals. I, th- I think agnostic- the bottom line I th- is I that- I think agnosticism- Yeah, my agnosticism is, is that most no, people but you, but aren't- you went, the, you went- Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you, this is how my agnosticism <laughs> works. It. This is how my agnosticism works. Until you prove otherwise- I presume that everyone is not a fucking racist monster until you prove otherwise. And even the standard for whether or not you're a racist monster, like you've really got to be a particularly bad scumbag. You can't just write tweets about how white people smell like wet dogs. I have too many black friends who have said things like that in, in polite company 
casually to think that that sort of commentary makes you a racist. And in much the same way, the notion that picking out, well, he always calls black people stupid. Like it can't, that's not enough to actually substantiate some charge of racism, especially when the consequences of being labeled a racist are so grave. Like you can't escape. If you have a bust of MLK in your office, if you go to like the African American history museum, like it's hard to say this is, secret racist. That, that that part is a great part. Is is a great point. But what about his past with his father and the colored people notations on the apartments that they wouldn't rent with his dad? With his dad, yeah. yeah. So so you think it's his dad, not him? Or or what year was that? Why the Central Park Five still guilty? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, know. for I me, know. for me, like uh, when we talked about this last week, if we had this other word that. That, that described um, having uh, collective negative generalizations about populations, mm-hmm. which is hard to describe after so much whiskey, but, um, uh, or <laughs> pronounce. Uh, but uh, his Judge Curiel comment is the one that sticks with me to this day. Uh-huh. Like, this person cannot be trusted mm-hmm. to adjudicate justice fairly because of his Mexican heritage. Right. That's a collective negative generalization based on your circumstances of your birth that you have nothing to do with. Right. Um, although he is a thatist. Although the, the we negative, have a word. Yeah. We don't have, a, we, we might not have the word, but he is definitely a thatist. And not only that, but he is consistently in my view. I think view. the word is essentialist. Um, and sure, it's, it's yeah. not so much, it's not so much that it's negative. I mean, it's it just is in negative. that particular, in that particular context, the manifestation was negative, but and what he was his, saying was, and his this person is likely context. to have an affinity for other people who are like them, who are members of their tribe, He's which an American is generally Mexican descent. precisely, but right. this is generally the way that we approach these issues and the, negative the contrasting, I think is well, it's not negative essentialism. What I'm telling you negative. is the presu- the presumption is that the essentialism is your affinity for your tribe, which is likely to mean that you will make decisions decisions in favor of your tribe, but even if that even if that decision is going against Donald Trump, but which still, is the reason why having negative. a wise it's like, it's Latina like a, jurist is a good idea. That's when you're Sotomayor. It's not negative. It's just essentialist. And it's precisely what happens to me when I when I articulate a heterodox position that I'm not supposed to have because of the way I look. Because I, th- I think because I'm a Negroid, as someone on Twitter some oh said, God. in a totally serious way. It was a black person. Yeah, what is it was ne- a black person? Can you like who is defending a, this notion? Can you give us a Negroid, Caucasoid, Negroid? and Mongoloid really? as the three major categories of humankind? Because this is a way that some people who study skulls, oh no, anthropologist, yep. which is a social science, you stupid doofus. Some people still use those categorizations. He thinks that it is a real immutable thing. Yeah. Negroid. Not, not worth quoting by name not a or, thing. or anything like that. But yes, this, this is actually <laughs> th- verifiable if you check Camille's I, ads. I think, <laughs> I think essentialist is actually a pretty good word. And yeah. hopefully we can get That's the word. But I think there is negative essentialism and positive essentialism. And I think it's actually useful to point out that positive essentialism is still essentialism. And it's problematic, which I think is a huge part of your overall message to the world. So I want to I want to introduce to underline the E word as something out there. And I I do think that Donald Trump is a serial user of negative essentialism. And that's part of the reason why I don't like him and think Mm -hmm. that he's that he's a a, a mal 
uh, instruments on uh, the American uh, body politic. Okay. Um, also a reflection of where the Republican Party in particular, but other a- aspects of American Kana have come from. Um, uh, but that essentialism is bad. Well, we'll agree to disagree on the negative positive distinction because I think it's Why? all a matter. I just think it's all a matter of vantage point. Like when people when people presume that I am a Democrat because of the way I look, is that negative or positive essentialism? Well, yeah, it's a, you know, when someone presumes that you're likely to vote against, negative. you're likely to rule against Donald Trump. Is it negative or positive essentialism? I haven't told you what it is, but I'm saying I guess you're likely to rule against him but in I some get, context but because I think, of your I characteristics. Think that's like, uh, how do you? identify voting or, or, you know, political tribal affiliations. But if I look at you and say, if you're in the backseat of an Uber in Bed-Stuy at one o'clock in the morning, uh-huh. or a housing project, <laughs> I think you're a possible criminal case. Uh-huh. I think that would be more of a negative essentialism. Like I think that you're going to do or so you're saying using something. it for negative ends is right. what you're saying. Okay. I understand what right? you're saying. I understand what you mean. Like if I, if we looked at anybody here, I yeah. mean, I probably have negative essentialism towards Fisher because yeah. he's Irish and Italian, and we've yeah. all seen what that mix does. It's the worst. I think it, I think all essentialism. <laughs> I think all essentialism is repugnant and bad, and I don't know that I am willing to grade it because I think all of it can be used for ill purposes. Right. I, I, In my experience. Yeah. Uh, I th- I think I think when you, you use tip of the spear to talk about uh, Colin Kaepernick, which, by the way, is racist. Um, <laughs> is it? Is obviously, it? self-evidently. I mean, spears are very effective weapons. It's the reason I, I mention it. Like, uh, I hate to do this, but Uh-oh. I, when I was in uh, film school as Uh-oh. an undergrad, we watched Apocalypse Now. Mm-hmm. And, it's so good. Yeah, and the first two Sorry. characters on the boat, spoiler alert for a 40-year-old movie, <laughs> uh, the first two characters killed on the boat with Martin Sheen are African-American. Well, and one of them is killed with a spear. Whoa. And uh, my instructor s- somehow implied I mean, that's that this obviously was a racist. spear trucker. <laughs> I mean, clearly. And I was like- A phrase that doesn't even exist. And I was like, yeah, do you right. believe that Francis Ford Coppola doing the really perhaps the quintessential anti-Vietnam War movie was throwing a spear trucker reference? I mean, I, I do. The, yeah, you, I want to believe that. Yeah, Dude, talk about, I mean, uh, listen. Freaking Star Trek. All right, please. Right? Please, let's go. Like the space Jews, the Ferengi, right? What? I mean, I don't whoa. know. I don't know my Star Trek. Like the Ferengi, well like enough. they have like big ears. Oh my gosh. And they're Jews traitors. don't have big ears. Help us. But that's like a I thing. Do, it's a caricature, right? It's bad. Like, but who knew yeah. that Star Trek was filled with racism? Oh, yeah, they're pretty big. Yeah. <laughs> so Adrew has. She took ears, off right? the headphones to check her ears. But I'm, I'm not saying that it's, it's true. It's phrenology we're doing caricature. Live. Right and 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 the violent. Do you really the believe, violent sorry, sorry, Negro are, are race of are you, Klingons? Are you kidding? Well, other racism. All right, we're out of control here. I'm sorry. Uh, you but, did that. You took us down. Uh, we definitely that. did. Yeah. I. You I, were going to make a. Point. I ruined everything. We're ear checking over here. So. No, I wanted to, for my own benefit, selfishly uh-huh. dumb down the conversation Thank that you. you guys were having about That's essentialism. Go ahead. No, it's just pointing to everybody but me, by the way. Yeah, that is true. Me and my big Irish Italian, you wouldn't understand. Um, no, it was essentialism is a complicated concept. I think, it, especially if you're analyzing the negative or positive, which I guess we're going with none of it. But my dad, who actually thinks that he, I mean, he's more to the left than I am, even, but feels like we needed Trump to recalibrate as a nation. Mm. Like this will shock us so bad. Mm that we will end up in a better place somehow. My mom and I 
do not agree and do not think we deserve this. It's kind but, of my silver lining, my silver lining uh, suggestion. I didn't, I don't know that it was going to happen. I, at this point, don't believe that it will happen, but I, I, I suggested that it it's might happen. Pre-election. Well, that it was, yeah. he feels as though there was so much hate that was unspoken during the Obama years mm. that it was like brewing and brewing and brewing and brewing. Mm-hmm. And it had to come out. And this was the time and a whole confluence of issue, you know, things come together when mm. Hillary ends up losing and that this will just be four years and we can take a lot of lessons out of what happened here. But anyway, in terms of what Trump is and we've been throwing around racist, mm-hmm. he just calls him an otherist. He says he just that's true. hates others. And that can be women, white women. It can be black people. It's certainly Mexicans. It's certainly Muslims. He just is fundamentally uncomfortable with others and a lot of them. So he can have Ben Carson in his cabinet Mm -hmm. and he can have, you know, heads of Latino, what if he has a Latino council or whatever it is, but it has to be small doses and not a challenge to his power. And that's his guiding principle. Hmm. So he's like, I don't even want to waste my time calling him racist because he's just like your classic xenophobe in every way. I would modify that to say to to, to sort of preach reluctance to um, uh, of uh, of of diagnosing what lies in the human heart. Um, who knows what lies in in in. If he has a heart or if he's a human, (laughs) but we do know what he consciously chose to run his politics on. Oh, I'm with you. So I think, I think that is the, is the cynical play. Like it's entirely possible. And I think even probable that he doesn't have any sense of discomfort hanging around black people. No, he was hanging around with with, uh, Al Sharpton and stuff. Or even hanging out with a celebrity, you know, when they show you pictures of him with Muhammad Ali or whatever. Yeah. It's all well and good to be in a rarefied universe. I think maybe even any, but let's, but more importantly, I don't know. It's agnostic. No, we can't know any of it. Do I think know that he saw this, saw elements of this is a big word here, but he saw elements of othering in his political project. Mm -hmm. And that is what I can't forgive him for ever. Just can't. Totally agree. Like you can't to to see this, to to call Mitt Romney's policy, Chris Kobach's policy uh, that Mitt Romney had adopted of self-deportation in 2012, um, Chris Kobach, who is who's competitive for the uh, uh, gubernatorial race in Kansas as we speak right now. There's a hundred. I think he's going to win. 191 votes uh, separating him and the incumbent governor there. Trump uh, uh, endorsed him right before King the election. King of the fake voter fraud. Yeah, he was the he was basically mm-hmm. the head of the presidential voter fraud uh, commission, which is totally bullshit. Was a uh, Emily had to say it, which was the best part. What's I mean, that? it to come out. And say <clears throat> that they didn't find anything, and there was no widespread voter fraud. Yeah, and then also he lost. Kobach lost a, uh, and was resoundingly handed his own head um, uh, by the Kansas uh, Supreme Court in a case about his own voter uh, uh, law, which required you show proof of citizenship in order to get uh, voter registration um, that was found to be in violation of the Equal Protection Clause, the 14th Amendment, among other things. And uh, and in, in part of that process, they said, can you show us actual evidence of non-citizens registering to vote? And he came up with like 37 
instances in 20 years. Right. Um, <laughs> like that's the widespread thing that we're going. And, and and even the judge there said, and a lot of them are due to state employees doing it wrong and unintentional. So anyways, Kobach uh, is, is part of this and he predates Trump. He, he was Mitt Romney's right-hand man. There's been the growing thing in the Republican party for a really long time. 10 years very specifically, I think, uh, here. Uh, and it is essentially otherist. It's imagining that there is a horde somewhere um, that's out there and they're destroying our elections. They're shooting Kate, whoever. Um, and also, uh, uh, I just said that because I don't remember last Kate name. Stanley. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but like, conservative. and like you also you don't think her life more. matters. No, her, her, her life matters. Jeez. Totally. Um, and <laughs> anecdotes actually are important. Individual anecdotes of, no, of they're injustice. Incredibly powerful. Are important, including the injustice that happens to people who who are separated from their kids at, at age three. Yeah, you know, no, they're very the they're very powerful. And, and I just think things, that they and they, those they, things are being used uh -huh. by Trump very uh, directly and by Stephen Miller right now oh um, to uh, to impact the way that we process immigrants and refugees and other people. And it's all mal. It's all very bad. I don't know why I keep using the word mal, but uh, thinking about Mal Evans, um, and it's. Bad and wrong, and that's uh, and and that is enough. I think for me to think that uh, that Trump's othering is not just some hyperventilation from Jim Acosta out there in the world. That it is a thing to look at badly. That type of essentialism, and to not give him the benefit of the doubt for one reason: that he has power. Um, so you treat with mm -hmm. skepticism the people who have power, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I think that Hillary Clinton, your favorite person in the world, Jessica Tarlov, um, had a lot of othering elements of her own. The deplorables comment is not a, a particularly fine moment. Yeah. It's an essential, hers. but isn't it, it an, is essential an essential component of politics? Like essentialism it is. and otherizing, like it's it's how politics works. It's how interest group politics works. And yeah, it's but, all, but, but that's, Trump it's all power, about those narratives. Stephen Miller. Uh-huh. Is putting forth a policy yeah, yeah. that makes legal immigrants, people mm -hmm. who stood in line, quote unquote, right, right, even right. though there is no line, and followed the law, and laws can be contradictory, yeah. uh, and is now punishing, is, is, is proposing that these people who accepted certain government services, which they were legally entitled to mm -hmm. when they were following the law, right. and sometimes legally compelled to, right. like Obamacare, right. like right. if they did not have government, uh, health insurance provided to them by an employer, they had to sign up for an exchange. This is being held against them to the point that they will not be, uh, they would not only not be allowed a citizenship, they will be deported. Right. This is part of Stephen Miller, a.k.a. the Donald Trump administration's policy. Mm -hmm. And this is I don't know how you could say this is anything. I don't, if Some people anything might say this is, an, this is an economic thing because uh -huh. immigrants somehow are, are, are coming here to leech off of the public assistance program. That's certainly what they believe. That's what they believe, but the facts don't bear that out. Uh -huh. right? and but facts don't matter. Facts don't matter. I guess not. Facts. I mean, Bernie Sanders, Bernie Sanders believes those things, too. Are, he doesn't say them well, anymore. Well, I guess feelings matter more than facts uh -huh. for the right wing, too, who are, who are uh -huh. supposedly only fact-oriented. That's not, not a thing. Uh, no, yeah. but, no, but Well, it's, that's what they would tell you. It, it's some maybe some would yeah. tell you a, a loud portion that I've referenced frequently on this show that 
but 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 let's 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 not breeze past this because this is uh-huh. actual policy. This is this is the thing that you care about most, right? Policy you, things that are actually looking at. He's looking at Camille Foster. He's looking yeah. at Camille yeah. Foster because Camille, uh-huh. uh-huh. Camille Foster's got Tyson in giant letters, you know, and it's it's commanding authority. You mean Iron, uh, my my hat says Iron Mike Tyson. Yes, and and as a child of the '80s, when I see Iron Mike Tyson, I've got you think a, champion. I, I, yeah, exactly. I think I think he's going to knock me out in 30 seconds. Yeah. So. Stephen Miller has put forth a policy that is very close to being adopted by the Trump administration that is absolutely sadistically cruel. Uh-huh. And it's I in my opinion, they could, they could say it's economically based, but I believe it's identity based. Uh-huh. And you could argue and, against and that. I, and, and my my perspective on this and this is it's it's totally it's the same argument in every single context is that's fine. One is permitted. One is it's fine for you to draw that conclusion if you like. The consequence, however, of Lyft, for example, who today is responding as Uber is to this new law that's been passed in New York, which is capping the number of people who can be admitted into these uh, ride sharing programs for some period of time while they study what's going on and the impact of these cars being on the road and the, the degree to which they're creating congestion and capping prices and all sorts of stuff because people are using ride sharing more because the subway is unreliable and in a lot of, in a lot of different contexts. That's the nicest way you but, could describe the New York City subway. Yeah, I'm, I'm being very generous. I have to ride it a lot more these days. But Lyft describes the potential impact of this program on people of color, people in marginalized communities in particular. I think in every context where people utilize like identity politics arguments as the principal argument to combat some policy that they dislike, that they are nearly always, especially to the degree there are other fundamental arguments you could bring to bear to attack those policy positions, you're making it harder to make your case. Because there are plenty of people who believe that immigration is bad because it's economically hurtful to them. But they're not they talking about Irish bartenders, all right? I, I they're, hear, they're talking about anymore. I hear you, but I the people who support the policies, the people who you're hoping to convince, it's not just a matter of demagoguing Stephen Miller because you think Stephen Miller has a dark heart. It's a matter of discrediting the policies that he is supporting and getting people who support those well, policies when, to no longer when, support when you them. So for, me, you discredit- so for me, when I talk about things like this and I say, I don't know if it makes sense to talk about it in that way or to do that framing or for that to be sort of the principal thing I need to advance, the goal for me is to try to persuade the conservatives, if it's like criminal justice issues, to come over to my side. And similarly, conservatives, if it's an immigration issue, to not support policies that are restrictionist because I think that they are actually bad and unworkable and they are harmful to the economy. And yeah, they're inhumane. But, I'm a, but I don't, I'm a person, I don't actually have to speculate about your motives. I'm a person who doesn't think conservatism makes you inherently racist. And I, I hear think you. plenty of conservatives, and I've seen, to their credit, plenty of conservatives from the Free Beacon, from you know the Washington Times, Washington Examiner, a lot of places say, holy cow, there is no defense to this policy. There's no defense to Stephen Miller's policy. It is explicitly a policy directed at people who are poor and let's let's not be clear let, let's let's not dig around with this all right they're they're not talking about irish bartenders of which there are at least 50,000 illegal <laughs> illegally in this country at this point they're talking about people who are from shithole countries that they uh-huh. don't want all right uh-huh. and, and 
There was air quotes there. If you didn't, you're, you're, I, I believe, <laughs> no, that, I believe that your, your, your argument that specifically with stuff like Uber and Lyft, that like, it's going to disproportionately harm people of color in outer boroughs who won't be able it's to. It's actually going to disproportionately help them. That's the point. Uh, I think that, uh, that, that was made to me early by uh, a friend of ours in, in Washington DC who had a handicap. Um, it's like Uber and Lyft allows me to not be passed up. Well, what I meant and, was, and they, what, and they actually the caps the, are not the, on the those cap. handicapped vehicles. And so, like, no, just the cap in general hear, will make to it hear this a, idiotic. A, fucking Bill De Blasio and my own councilman Brad Lander supporting the idiot thing that they just passed today to limit the number of Uber and Lyft licenses that are uh, prepared to mandate who gets paid what and all this kind of garbage. They did it in the language of of social inclusion and anti racism. Um, when in fact the outer boroughs were not served by taxis five years ago. Well, that's I mean, they, they did the they're, not, they're not served now. I mean, they're still not served. Yeah. They're there not are, served now. The numbers were astounding, though. There are 14,000 New York City taxi cabs, and there are now 80,000 ride sharing vehicles wow. rolling around at any point. And most yeah. of these drivers are using a couple apps, right? Like I, sure. I noticed most are on Lyft or Uber. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, Grew up here in New York City and until kind of got to like cab age, I had no idea <laughs> that there were any issues. What is cab age? In high school, I guess. Uh -huh. Like where you're huh. doing it yourself. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, you know, I grew up in Tribeca, so it was I had a, a lovely idyllic existence as far as city living goes. Um, Film festivals and whatnot. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, but Anthony Fisher, shout out there. It's really a tremendous issue. And just even in looking at the backlash to this policy on Twitter about what it is going to do to the minority community in terms of getting around, because if you think also about the green cabs that you can only yeah, get going taxes. away, yeah. right, that they have them that's, it, like, supposed to be helpful. Thing? Yeah, they're still around, and you can't get back to where my neighborhood, you were going. Camille, you're going to see them. Yeah, I sure don't see them in Bed-Stuy. The only thing I see, I, I can, in Bed-Stuy, though, I can get an Uber in three minutes. Well, right. You know? It's great. Today you can. Well, yeah. Let's see. Moving forward. I have to say about the thing that's good about Uber, a lot of a lot of drivers just generally don't know where they're going. But I understood uh -huh. the case against Uber from cabs a lot better in London, where I lived after college for six years, because they actually take that test, the knowledge. They spend two years studying mm -hmm. to and they have to pass a test that they actually know the roads and things like that. And that was always a massive complaint about New York City taxi drivers, that there were a lot of people who just mm -hmm. showed up in the country and they were very well qualified to be doing far more than driving a cab, mm -hmm. like doctors coming from other places where we wouldn't accept medical licenses from there. And they were driving a cab to get by and support their family as they got on their feet, et cetera. But they can't get you where you're going. Mm. And so Uber, these rideshare drivers are using apps, whereas New York City cab drivers are not necessarily using Waze or Google Maps or whatever it is yeah, to get yeah. around. And it's a huge advantage if you're trying to get somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. So I felt like because the, the black cabs in London have a case against Uber as well. But I understood that a lot more because they're saying we're qualified. Yeah. Like the rating system kind of is a corrective for that. I think that's true. Right. Like if you fuck up, if you yeah. if you, you take me around in the, in the traffic. Yeah. I mean, well, the traffic is a huge problem. Yeah. You got to be able to to navigate that, and you can't. You can't. However, however much knowledge you have about the roads, the likelihood that you've got some sort of algorithm in the back of your head predicting where the accidents are likely to be or something, you can't beat ways. But uh, I just, never try. 
just to get a, a, a 30 to 60 second response for you, and then we can peace out of here. Yeah. Um, there is an argument uh, that the Uber and, and Lyfts of the world uh-huh. um, help communities that have traditionally been disserved. And sometimes when you describe those communities, they're going to be uh, of, of, of a racial characteristic, uh, of, of a handicap uh-huh. char- characteristic, whatever, of a minority uh, community somewhere. And do you think that that is still wrong to use in that context? What? I'm sorry. To say, to say, hey, look, Uber's cool because our handicapped friends can use Uber and our friends in Bed-Stuy can use Uber. Um, and that is a reason in of itself to support X. Um, are you saying that that's a bad argument because it's essentialist? Um, I, the point, I think the point that I'm making is to the extent you have persuasive arguments that don't require you to speculate about the dark motives of the people you're arguing against. Which this doesn't. You should use them. Right. To the extent you're making an argument, like I'm not against having a conversation about something that takes race into consideration. I mean, one of the issues that I have is the degree to which we can't talk about Chicago, for example. And and this, it's amazing. The, The fact that there are so many of these weekends where you have these explosions of violence where so many people end up getting shot, not necessarily killed, but shot, which is still traumatic and awful. And and, I mean, it just I can't even imagine living in a neighborhood where you have to think about the fact that out here, kind of 12 of your neighbors, 12 of your neighbors were shot. I, I only think about the fact that there was like a kid shot three weeks ago like blocks near me. And that's a problem. And I'm saying that there it's even worse. Um, but sorry, the, the point that I was going that I was moving towards was, yeah, their race is a part of the conversation in this complicated problem of describing, discussing, figuring out remedies to the violence in a place like Chicago. So can, I think can I using it in that context get, can be useful. Can I interrupt to get to perhaps yeah. what I think is your point, which is that if the end point uh-huh. of your race or minority-based analysis is this happened because racism, that's bad. Well, but, no, it, but if the end point is, hey, look, uh-huh. people are benefiting here yeah. positively because this thing exists. Yeah. Then that's not bad. No, if it, the, the here's here's the rule with okay. the racism stuff in particular, because that's what you're asking about. Kind of. To the extent you want to invoke racism as the explanation for why the bad thing happened, I think extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And the evidence for assertions of racism, that bar ought to be high because it's it's a big deal to say that someone, even a bad person, even people we dislike is actually motivated by that particular dark malevolent force. To that to that point and Which this is the point Anthony was making about uh-huh. this new legal immigrant issue, yeah. but I'm going to take us back to the Muslim ban. Okay. And that was originally conceived on the fly just to be shitty about Muslims. Remember he just said I'm going to ban entry f- to this country any Muslims, then until, people until talk, we figure, until we figure until this we thing out, this, which the thing being radical, the radical Islam thing. Right. Is but then when that ban actually came out, uh-huh. seven countries on there, all of which were not a terrorism problem. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, so they were all on that. Uh, they were on Obama's yeah. massive list that had right. been trimmed, but they were not the top offending countries. Right. 
by any means. For, for and so when you look reasons, at that, yeah. when the policy actually comes in front of you mm -hmm. and there's no rationale, like there's no economic argument for the legal immigration ban that they're going after, if you actually look at the numbers, then are we allowed to say this was conceived because Stephen Miller is a racist or are we still benefit of the doubting or we because we can't. Yeah, we can't know. No, but we can have a lot of evidence yeah. that these things are being decided because we've got a bunch of otherists. Yeah. More evil probably than just an otherist. Yeah. Hanging out in the most powerful house yeah. in the entire world. I, there is a longer conversation that I would like to have about that. But you're asking or posing that particular question here reminds me that I taped a podcast with Sarah Hader um, and that I need to finish editing it so I can release it shortly after this one. Um, because we do touch on some of those related themes. Um, and I think that is a complicated question. I think there's a sense in which, um, and I'm, I'm sort of channeling Sam Harris here. Donald <laughs> Trump was like talking about some of these issues. He's the worst possible person to talk about these issues in a way that most other people aren't willing to. Uh, I'm yeah. thinking back to like the Sam Harris, uh, Ben Affleck beef on, uh, on real time where they were having this conversation and Sam was trying to to talk about his unique particular concerns with Islam. And I'm not endorsing Sam's perspective here because I don't, I can't articulate it um, well enough to endorse it. Um, but I can say that it does seem to me that there, there's a universe in which someone could have concerns about a particular faith. And I don't know that that's nearly the same thing as saying that someone is racist. I do think that Donald Trump Establishing that he has many crude, many crude implementations even of ideas that in other contexts might not be so awful or even crude ways of describing things that might not be so awful in other contexts is, I mean, it goes without saying. And, and for your dad's theory of why Trump might be useful and my theory of why Trump might be useful are different in that for me like the impoliteness of Donald Trump could help to illuminate the reason why certain policies are bad in any context, because just when Donald Trump does it, it's, it's awful. When anyone else does it, if they're sufficiently polite, it's, oh, we can tolerate that. They certainly use that with kids in cages, yeah. right? Like there were totally a few, I mean, it wasn't policy, but there are definitely photos of kids in cages from mm -hmm. the Obama years, yeah, but like had, that was fine and we crisis. weren't yeah, we, freaking it, out. Lots of us, lots of us ignored it. I mean, it, me at the time, I wasn't paying nearly as much attention to that issue um, as we ended up paying enough. now. Yeah. Problem. was sitting next to you on the set of The Independence, though, so that's your fault. I was writing about it. But people were yeah. measuring intention there. Yes. Because you, you know that it breaks Barack Obama's heart that we we're assuming, yeah. but he would probably get up there would, and cry about it. I would say Obama used Quotes it. That actually, I, I think it was a strategic thing uh -huh. that Obama was trying to be as hard-ass as he possibly well, could. Well, deporter-in-chief. <clears throat> yeah. Well, <clears throat> it wasn't that— he hated immigrants. It was that he was trying not. to be as hard as, as he could be in the first uh, term of his administration to try to get comprehensive administ uh, comprehensive immigration, immigration yeah. reform. Exactly. He was, he, was, he was saying, I am not an open borders advocate. I'm mm. actually really tough on borders. But what we need to do is solve the problem of the people who are already here. Yeah. But there's a point to be made. He was never able to do that. That's obvious. It'll never uh, get done. The same way, oh, his heart really wasn't in cracking down on medical marijuana in no, no, a way uh, that it was completely. Yeah, yeah Donald yeah. Trump would never do now uh, in the in his first term. Like, mm. like we should call out 
the insincere gestures when they harm individuals. Well, and I did at the and, time. And I know. <laughs> I, I'm not accusing you of, of, of not doing that. Well, we should get out of here. Yeah. Um, Jessica, did you have any parting thoughts, closing thoughts, anything that you wanted to Speeches. say into the microphone that we didn't give you an opportunity to say? Because we're being... No, I talked a lot. It was great. Thank you for having me. And if we do this again, though, I'll definitely see you guys around. I think the next conversation Mm. is definitely about the media and like the size of the outrage. Because if you think about like taking kids in cages, which is offensive, I'm sure, to all of us at our very core, why we didn't know about that. Mm. And this is where, you know, you get into... Certainly you could have your own echo chambers, but since we all live out of our echo chamber, being the bearer of bad news to your hometown base that there was, you know, bad crap that we did too Uh uh is not a particularly fun thing to have to do. Yeah. And that would be what I would like to talk about next. Yeah, that's why. Cool. It's always best to be a libertarian in this. I firmly disagree with you. You guys have not convinced me of anything. I I am walking out here. Not our fault. Hillary Strong. But uh, no, I like that, and I I like the point that you made about um, about ascribing intentions or motivations to to Barack Obama. That's the other side of a politics that's all about what people actually intend to say or intend to do. I think so much of the hypocrisy that manifests itself is all about that. They are bad people who mean bad things. And he he couldn't have meant it that way. He's one of us. But they actually think, sorry, I know that we're done, but it's fascinating because <laughs> I- You get the- We're lesson. never done. I you never, go. I've noticed that. I'm like, actually probably going to sleep here now. Um, <laughs> that doesn't- Like, I didn't really know that there was a decent amount of people, white people, who thought that Barack Obama hated them. Like until Trump arrived Hmm. and like this whole backlash against it. Like I had always thought maybe because I lived in my echo chamber or, you know, because I thought he was so such a great communicator, Obama, Hmm. and had such obvious kind of humanitarian outlook on life. I didn't know that there was a whole populace that felt totally disenfranchised by him and that he, you know, never said Merry Christmas to them. And (laughs) he hates cops. I am uh, like I grew up in the suburbs just outside the city, but I'm essentially a lifelong New Yorker. Yeah. And. We accept you. Trim, appreciate it. <laughs> taxes are all. There's only one taxes. Yeah. Right? The uh, but I, I, I've run, I've run into a great many people, including people in my family, who described Barack Obama's entire tenure as divisive. Yeah. That 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 was the only thing that devi- defined it mm-hmm. was that it was so divisive. It was so, it was it was so much about us versus them, and I've got innumerable criticisms of Barack Obama and his administration, uh-huh. but. The 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 idea that it was defined by divisiveness that the that the purpose was divisiveness that the purpose yeah. was us and them I can't get behind it. No, it's it's a oh, little. Oh, me either. It's a little but I, they yeah. think it. But yeah. you know what? He he did do a fair amount of not us versus them in terms of immutable characteristics, uh-huh. but in terms of tribal choices. Yeah, sure, sure he so did. I'd the, say that's true. Yeah. Them were Republicans. Yes. Yeah. Them were the, well, some might say that's, you know. <laughs> but he didn't try to make them into inhuman beings, which, which I, I if you, no, 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 it, was it, human, I, it was a little more, it was a little more, it was a little more restrained. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and he did traffic in identity who, politics from time to time. But yeah. speaking, speaking uh, a name that we mentioned earlier, Camille Harris at Netroots, um, giving her speech yes. about identity politics. That is another thing that we should take up at another yeah. time. But we yeah, really, I mean, 
the, the whole net roots thing, we really missed an opportunity. Oh my god, that, and Cynthia yeah. Nixon I wasn't there. is destroying Sex in the City for me. I every I just, time come I, around the what? train. Come back, Jessica. Please, please come <laughs> back. She drives me freaking mad. We should Next get her week. in here. Yeah. We'll oh, she would probably Tarlof. come. No, no, no. I mean, I just saw her on Jessica the train. Tarlof. Oh, I definitely will. But Jessica you could Tarlof actually probably get some. We could probably get Cynthia Nixon. She'll need like if you can give her one vote. Polling at about twenty-five percent. She can have my vote. It's fine. She just and when she's like, oh, and they call us socialists, so let's give it to them, and I'm like. The Demo- oh. Even the Democratic Socialists <laughs> see through that, by the way. Oh, totally. Like they're and they're also, just like, where the hell were you? And uh, I want her. To she was making millions of dollars. Oh, like, like a drum in that primary. All right, we oh, got to get out of here. Oh. I'm just going to let the conversation continue. But just cut it off. Bye. Just bye. <laughs> bye. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse. The fifth column.